Talk Live. Welcome to the program here. You can join us and bring up whatever is on your mind. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Joining you in the studio tonight, it's Ian. And Chris. And nobody. And, of course, you can bring up absolutely anything you want. That is what we do here on Free Talk Live. So feel free to do that. Again, 603-283-6160. Chris, you and I, we had an interesting afternoon uh, here in New Hampshire today and uh, Concord District Court. So not the federal court, but the state district court. Uh, friend of the show, Footloose, was once again in uh, part two of his trial for what's called the New Hampshire Nine arrests, where nine people, I'm not even going to call them activists, a couple of, some of them were, I mean, I guess they were activists in that they went to a meeting to to protest, but they were sitting still at the time. Like, they weren't in the midst of, like, doing something, yeah. really, at the moment. They were arrested. It, you know, you know, I, I think the choice words would say there were people, at least in that crowd, who were doing activism, but mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know if the nine specifically, I think they, you probably could say that, but I don't, I think it's a little bit different. It's a little, it's a little bit different um, because they weren't, they were there sort of in protest, I think, but not, it was a more of a silent protest, but not necessarily yeah. something that was like explicitly planned. At one point and, during the event, they got up, they stood with their backs turned to the meeting. So what was happening was it was a, a what they call an executive council meeting here in New Hampshire. The executive council is a five-person council that sort of sits with the the governor. So they're they're in the executive department with the governor. Um, they're elected like the governor is elected, but all spending above a relatively low number. And I always forget whether it's fifteen hundred or fifteen thousand. But I mean, for governments, fifteen thousand isn't isn't a big number uh, either way. But any sp- state spending that is above that number has to be approved by the executive council. It cannot just be signed off by the governor on his lonesome. So that's kind of one of the main things that they do. They also, I think, approve things like. Uh, judges being appointed or pardons being handed out, that kind of thing. So that's what their role is. In this case, they were uh, there at this meeting to accept $27 million from the federal government for COVID crackdown, COVID vaccination, COVID enforcement, COVID propaganda, whatever different areas. It would all be directed towards the COVID nonsense. It, I mean, going. effectively, it was money that they said was not needed, as I recall, uh, anyway, which is the humorous part about taking it. Well, when is a bureaucrat going to say money's not needed? Well, I mean, right. going to take and, the money. And that was sort of the like, well, wait a minute. You're saying money's not need. the money's not needed, and then at the same time, you're going to take it. It just seems so hypocritical. Well, they didn't initially take it. There was a large outpouring of people who came out to one of their meetings a few weeks prior to the meeting in question, and they saw the pushback, and they just decided not to do it, but then they kicked the can down the road a few weeks. Maybe they thought that the people wouldn't come back. And then they could uh, then accept the $27 million without as much fanfare, without as many people watching. But even more people came out Mm. uh, to the second meeting that they had. And there was actually, I guess, another meeting in between where so many people came out and made such a ruckus, they actually canceled the meetings, claiming they were in fear for their lives or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Or in fear for their safety. So then they scheduled another, this this final meeting, the one where the arrest happened, was actually, it happened at like the New Hampshire State Police or New Hampshire Police Training Center. So it's like the heart of the police state, basically, here in New Hampshire. 
And there were some of the witnesses in this case estimated 70 to 80 armed goons from the state of New Hampshire, state troopers and like some other cops, maybe some county sheriffs and and local uh, cops, that kind of thing. But there were a ton of them there. I wasn't there. I was on, you know, restrictions due to my uh, bail conditions in the Crypto 6 case. But Bonnie was uh, was there. She wasn't even allowed to go inside. Oh, wow. I didn't know she made that. Yeah, she was there for that. Um, she, I think Matt went with her and Nikki. They all went up together. Anyway, hmm. uh, Bonnie was outside because there was, there's like a fire code, right? Like you can only let so many people into the building. Well. The claim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, we'll get to the well here. So they wouldn't let more than like 150 people into the building. And the well is inside the building they had uh they had sort of lined off like half or a third or half of the building with a curtain from floor to ceiling that went across the whole back end of the building. So they had the seats for the audience in front of that curtain and then there was the stage. And so everybody's wondering, "Well, what's this curtain for?" Oh, well, there's seats behind the curtain. Well, there's men with guns behind the curtain. What's, what's going on here? And then somebody else noticed something I learned today at the trial was that they had the chairs zip-tied together. Oh, yeah. And that means, and the first time I saw this was actually in a courthouse in, I think it was Charlestown, New Hampshire. We were there for the trial of uh, one of the First Amendment auditors here in New Hampshire who was on trial for some nonsense, victimless crime. And they, uh, it was such an old courthouse. They didn't even have pews. It was like such a low-budget, small-towny kind of courthouse. They just had those like basic four-foot chairs with no, uh, you know, sides on them or whatever. The kind of stuff you you'd see at a church, right? But, yeah. But not the not the pews. And they had those zip tied together as well. And I thought, you know what that's for? It's to stop someone from picking up a chair and throwing it at the judge. Right, because oh, wow. <laughs> it's tied to the other, or hitting a bailiff, or something yeah, like no, that. Yeah, no, that makes right? a lot of sense now. Yeah. If it, if all the chairs are zip tied together, you're not going to be able to do that. Right? Yeah, I, I, it was pretty obvious during the trial that there there was an era of like intimidation based on what they were saying, but I didn't quite know what the tying the chair thing like That's how that for. was all in there. They were expecting a straight up riot. They were expecting. The numbers of oh, people for sure. to show up, and they got the numbers. I mean, there were probably three hundred plus protest people there on the on the ground, inside and outside uh, that that arena or whatever it was called, the police training s- seminar area. And so uh, they were expecting, and that's why they had half of the area cordoned off. So they could take the yep. disruptive people out of the meeting and put them back into the court-owned area, cuff them all, and then move them out. They apparently had, as we learned last week, because this trial started a week ago, uh, today was day number two, but we learned last week there were, an, according to the police themselves, there were anywhere from five to seven paddy wagons on the scene as well. So they were prepped Interesting. up. They had dozens of armed men. They had multiple paddy wagons. Mm-hmm. They had all the chairs zip tied together. They were ready to make mass arrests. Yeah, you know, that's that's what I was thinking when I saw the video, uh, like, I don't know how long ago it was, but ages ago. And all I was thinking was this is they're clearly preparing to do mass arrests. And it, it, it seems to me from the video that the only reason they didn't uh, basically and they arrested people based on basically nothing um had to do with the fact where they got ready to do it, but then they didn't really have anything to go on right. w- they for had to, to do the up. mass arrests. Yeah, they, they totally had to cook up the reason to arrest people. 
Because according to the witnesses that were called by Frank today, the defense in this case, they said there was no disruption. And these aren't like, you know, scummy people that got called up. These are respectable individuals that were called to the stand. Yeah, these weren't libertarians, most of them. No. These no, were these conservatives. Are, these are like flag-waving so. yeah. uh, conservative types. And they said there was no disruption. In fact, the the, uh, the people that were in there were very, very calm and quiet. Sure, there might have been some chatter or whatever, somebody talking to their yeah, neighbor. people talking under the breath. Or whatever, but uh, no one was disrupting. They even said the meeting itself wasn't stopped at pretty much any point. But yet, some female officer from the state troopers got up at one point during the meeting, like an hour in, and warned everyone that uh, they shan't cause any disruptions or else. And the uh, Chris Sununu, who's the so-called governor here, also uh, warned people at the beginning of the meeting, apparently, as they did the Pledge of Allegiance, at the very end of the Pledge of Allegiance, there was some, like, jubilation, let's say. People might have whooped or said yeah or something like that and so because you know again these are conservatives they they get all riled up about doing themselves a pledge we don't care about that crap in fact uh, (laughs) you know we're against doing a socialist indoctrination pledge and i suspect if the conservatives actually knew a thing or two about the pledge they might change their mind about it like that it was written by an actual socialist in the late 1800s. <laughs> I didn't know that. I, f- I learned that from a guy named uh, Rex, Rex Curry, Curry down in Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's he's the one that Good got all people. those pictures on the internet of the the school children that yeah. were doing the the fascist Roman salute, the Hitler, you know, pledge salute oh, to yeah. the, to the flag and then they changed that uh, right around World War II times. Yeah. So there's some interesting history there. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So they got, you know, the conservatives, they get all excited about it. And so some people said amen and it, some people said, yeah. It, was, you know. it, it, it came off to me, having watched the video, it was the amen that was like their basis for you know, basically yelling at the people. Yeah, and, oh, that's a and disruption. The funny, the funny yeah. thing is the governor himself led the Pledge of Allegiance. Right. And you don't necessarily know you know what what is what is expected no maybe he wasn't expecting that but that doesn't necessarily mean other people weren't expecting that sort of thing right and clearly the crowd was expecting that because there were multiple people who said it so you know it's it seems hard to hard to yell at a, a crowd of people for doing something but they did that, that was led by the governor himself right they didn't do it in the way they wanted them to i mean somebody got a little excited at the end i mean it it wasn't like some drawn out it wasn't as though they ended the pledge and then there was five minutes no. of f- ruckus. They were fab- they were using right. it to fabricate an ex- excuse to like That's yell exactly at the right. crowd because yeah. the governor doesn't like uh, the crowd that showed up right. uh, because they were angry at him for you know wanting to accept uh, and advocating for accepting you know the twenty seven million. Um, you know there was one other thing. I don't think they actually got the twenty seven million in the end. I think it was like twenty three or something less than that. Whatever it was, it did get the approval at that it, meeting. It, it yeah. got. Uh, it was like the third meeting or something. I think you're mm-hmm. right, but I, I think it was a little bit less. So there was a, surprisingly, it, it seemed like there was some. Uh, it had some effect, which is kind of kind of surprising. So you're right, Chris. This was totally an excuse to uh, give the crowd a warning. That way they could say, well, we warned you when yep. they went in and just swooped in and just started arresting people, including like a mom with a baby in her arms, including a 70-year-old grandmother. It, 
and all these other people who never had any kind of run-ins with like the law right. in their lives. And the thing that's interesting about this is they clearly had a plan of attack on who they wanted to take out. Sure, that's and why they, they went after Frank first. Right. And then they made a mistake and actually it was uh, one person got arrested uh, apparently and I don't know which which one it was at this point, but one of the people who got arrested wasn't mm-hmm one of the people that they were like organizing it right and yeah. they got the wrong person and i don't know whatever happened they I don't know if they, did they drop their charge yeah, um so it's but, like down to eight people now instead of nine. yeah so but i thought that was kind of it was kind of funny just in that like okay so you're you're gonna try and say this wasn't pre a uh, pre-planned like it was like, totally pre right like planned. i mean you don't have that many officers you know hiding no. behind a curtain at, and then doing it at a police training academy and you know all this other stuff unless you're planning to do some sort of yeah they're literally leading these activists into the lion's den right like into the (laughs) den of the police so they can have this thing set up exactly how they want to have it set up and they they were swoop in and grab and they were they were pretty well uh prepared for this and they um during the i don't know if you saw this today but during the trial uh one of the one of the organizers i believe i believe it was one of the organizers you know had or well, i guess somebody testified about one of the organizers uh were there any state witnesses witnesses today or was it all frank's yeah witnesses? there were state witnesses i got there after yeah, the state th- witnesses there were okay. um but they testified to the fact that she went around was it a uh, uh, Therese Cronel. Therese, yeah. yeah. Therese went around and she didn't say anything, mm-hmm. but she, you know, she did. She, mo- I, unfortunately, I Trying can't to shush people. Yeah, with her finger motioned, over her. you know, using her finger yeah. against her lips, mm-hmm. and she went around the entire, um, you know, all around so that people could see physically see that you know the people who are sort of I don't want to say organizing it exactly, but people who are sort of leaders and kind of leading mm-hmm. the way. Uh, you know they would know you know the, the supporters of of you know this this crowd to not not make any noise because they knew that they they, they were planning something yeah they knew that mm. they would use any excuse whatsoever to snatch these people up and they did they only ended up getting nine of them because there really wasn't any reason to arrest the nine in right. the first place and that was kind of the whole point of this trial was essentially you had the state witnesses, and I, I again, this started last week, so I was there for the whole thing last week. We were like 45 minutes late today, but you were there for the whole thing today, Chris. Yeah, I missed last week, but I got this. I got yeah. there today. So we're going to have the whole thing on video when this is all said and done. It may be another, uh, the next, it wasn't over today. Nope. The next date's going to be the end of the month. I mean, it may be, you know, June before this thing wraps out. I don't know, maybe, maybe another month, but. And this is all the same like trial in the course yeah. of a trial that's it's they're doing it like one day one week then a week later another day and it's all the same trial so they're i've not never seen anything yeah, like it's really that. weird it's really weird uh, but that's how they're doing it and then uh, and then he's actually got another trial immediately after this one so when this one wraps up they're going to start the next one where he allegedly violated his bail from this one by going to the state house and being at a hearing like he didn't hmm. <laughs> he's just not allowed to be how, how could that possibly violate your bill yeah. you would think there would be constitutional you would think issues with that supposedly like, he's not allowed to be near the governor of course the governor has an office in the state house but anyway so today you know and this whole the point of the trial from the state's perspective is well we have these witnesses these state troopers who say that frank said this they say that he said yeah Yep. During one point of this well, meeting. But you know, the interesting part about that, though, is they seem to be like saying, if I, if I understood that, maybe I missed something. Maybe there was evidence introduced at the last trial, but it sounded to me that 
they were they were uh, saying they were trying to claim falsely claim that any that his um, his uh, the commotion was caused before they initiated an arrest, which was contradictory to what was said by the witnesses. And mm-hmm. then it appeared that the at least the one uh, state right. witness testified to the fact that it was it was it happened after they initiated the arrest. So it actually goes to the question of, well, OK, so then what's the basis of the arrest? It can't be disorderly because the commotion didn't occur until after well, you initiated the arrest. So there's multiple disorderly charges he's facing. He's got four of them for this one incident. Okay. Uh, and m- Essentially, there's the there's the disorderly that got him arrested, and then there's subsequent disorderly charges for after he was arrested. What was the one that got him arrested initially? Apparently, because... he said, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, apparently, Therese said amen at one point, allegedly, and then they claim he said yeah, even though not even, one no, of the... Nobody heard that, though. Well... There's you can hear it on the video and there is clearly someone does but say that's yeah, not commotion. But it's not if, clearly Frank. Yeah, but that's not that wouldn't create commotion in a no. in a, a crowd given the circumstances. I mean, well, we're talking claim, about 200 something people in this room. But the claim was they <laughs> warned him. Okay, so that that's what they got to do, right? To in order to have a disorderly but conduct charge. That's not charge. what the disorderly charge is. The disorderly and, and not only that, disorderly but really there's got to be can, there's also another aspect to disorderly as I understand it and I think this is like case law because it's been narrowed a little bit but there has to be a third party complainant not simply uh, an officer not a government. you cannot yeah. disturb so, the peace of a police officer. the question mm. i'm curious about which and, and this hasn't this aspect of the of which of makes it, sense because they don't have any peace and they wouldn't like it if they did this aspect right. of it i haven't seen during the trial and i, I doubt it's going to come out or come up during the trial because frank probably doesn't even know um and i don't even know what i would tell him even if i wanted to on like how you would argue that but as i understand as i've been advised by lawyers uh in my case uh uh, you have to there has to be a third party complaint in, in order for a disorderly. So it's mm. got to be somebody who's not an officer basically making the complaint. Now, maybe that could be the governor, but you would have to then introduce that evidence in order yeah. in order to have a conviction on. Well, the and they didn't call the governor to the stand. Right. Curiously enough, which means it was all basically speculation as to what he said. Hearsay. It was all hearsay as to what he was saying. Yeah. Well, and again, the meeting wasn't actually stopped at any point either. So it's just a mess of a case, at least as far as the state is concerned. And now they. Uh, now that Frank has been calling his witnesses up, they've been saying, look, this this meeting wasn't uh, disrupted in any way, shape or form. One guy even likened it to Nazi Germany. He felt as though he was in Nazi Germany when he saw the 70 state troopers and other cops in there walking up and down like the the aisles between the seats trying to intimidate people. And uh, one lady said she remembers the event as clear as 9-11 because it was just so shocking for many of these conservatives, right? Like these are back the blue, back the green, where you, you know, kind of conservatives who love the cops. And then this for them was a big shocker. Like they were really. Amazed. I wonder if anybody woke up as a result. I hope so. Were you there when uh, one of the witnesses testified to? He went through and he counted all the officers in that room and yeah, counted 70. 80. 70 to eighty. Yeah, he said yeah. eighty. He counted. Yeah, I, and um, then the previous uh, day it was like somebody said seventy. Somebody else week. said so, seventy. Yeah, somewhere. In yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of cops. That's like one cop for every two people in that room. Yeah. Basically, because mm. I think they said there about 150 people that were uh, were in that room and i presume that number didn't include the police right so anyway it's an interesting trial uh we saw a lot we saw it today and it's going to continue it'll be march 31st at 10 a.m at the concord uh state district court 
So this thing keeps on going, and hopefully Frank is going to be able to subpoena Chris Sununu to oh, appear great. as a witness because that would be incredibly entertaining. And the reason why, for those of you who are listening to the show that don't know who Frank is, or a.k.a. Footloose, his name is Frank Staples, he's an incredibly entertaining, ballsy activist, probably mm. one of the most uh, courageous guys on the scene in New Hampshire today, he says things that the average person would not be able to get away with oh, no. in court and to the police in general. You can't cuss off the judge no. on multiple occasions in the courtroom and every other word out of your mouth be Is cussing off somebody yeah. else, yeah. Uh, you know, some other uh, witness or, you know, right. prosecutor or whatever. But he does. He does it. And, and he's able to get away with it because he had some sort of head trauma, apparently, and he says that when he gets all, you know, when he gets riled up, then he starts, you know, cursing and yelling and and there's just no way he can control it. And so they give him so much leeway <laughs> that he actually got, got away last week with calling the judge an a-hole. And yeah. the judge got all upset. He says, are you talking to me or something like that? And then Frank <laughs> says, yes. Or he's just like, yeah, don't be an a-hole or something, you know, or don't be a jerk or something like that. So like he didn't even deny that he was saying that to the judge. So watching this is incredibly entertaining. You're definitely going to want to see this video. When it, I mean, normally court's boring as, as hell, mm. but when, when Frank is in court, it is pretty uh, pretty amazing. Did you did you hear uh, something at the, during the trial today? I don't know if you were here for this, but uh, they I guess the judge accepted some sort of um, disability thing on on his on his, that was submitted by Frank apparently. Oh really? Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. I did not hear uh, that part. Yeah, something something about he submitted some sort of ADA compliance thing, oh, okay. and I guess the judge accepted it. And he, he mm. uh, the judge, or I think Frank pointed it out, something to that effect in the court, and the judge nodded or something, and and like saying, "Yeah, I got it," and I, you know, okay. you were it was accepted or something. Hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting too. Uh, let's see what other takeaways from today. The court security was kind of on their best behavior today. They didn't, at least in my when I was there, they didn't. Uh, get- you missed the interesting bits, but okay, all right. <laughs> Uh, the number here is 603-283-6160. You can join the show if you want to see this guy in action and you don't want to wait till this trial video comes out. Just go to freekeen.com and search for Footloose and Court and you'll find multiple uh, examples. Pretty entertaining stuff. we got more coming up here on the way. You can join the show and we might tune into Aria DeMezzo live on NBC coming up. On Free Talk Live, we're bringing people to the ideas of liberty every day. From wrestling superstars like Glenn Jacobs. You guys really are having an impact, I believe. Like I said, uh, a lot of where I am now is due to listening to Free Talk Live. You changed my mind on some very important issues years ago. To random people tuning in on the radio. I was kind of stuck in the left-right paradigm. I heard your show by chance on a Saturday night. From there, I went on, joined the Free State Project. And become an amplifier. So, I mean, that's really the reason why I amp is uh, because I know that if it wasn't for you guys being on as many stations as you are, I never would have found the ideas of liberty. You can help more people hear the message of liberty by joining Free Talk Live's AMPS program on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. And you'll get access to special perks. Visit amps.freetalklive.com. AMPS.freetalklive.com.
It's Free Talk Live. You can join the show here, and you can bring up whatever you want. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Dean and Chris and nobody joining you here tonight. Uh, right now, we are in competition with NBC Boston airing episode number 10 of their series that they've been doing, a documentary series on the Free State Project. Uh, actually, they, they released this episode on Monday online, but it's actually going on broadcast uh, as we speak. It's on uh, NBC in Boston, also their New England Cable News Network, I think, NECN, and our very own Aria DeMezzo is in the studio at Boston's NBC tonight. She's there live, and they are watching the episode about the Crypto Six, which, of course, features, actually, I believe, all three of us. Uh, Chris, you're in the episode. No, oh, yeah. you're, you're in the episode. Aria, of course, is in the episode, and I am as well. Uh, it's uh, it's their longest episode so far, so if you haven't seen this one yet, it's actually about 20 minutes in length. And mm-hmm. so what, the, what they've been doing throughout the last few weeks is they've been uh, airing, well, starting last week, every night at 7.30 Eastern, they've been airing one episode of the docu-series, and then they have a guest who was in that episode in the studio physically to comment and answer questions. So, like, there's a couple of the hosts, I guess, you know, they're regularly on television there in, in Boston, and so the hosts are there in the studio with one and sometimes two people who were in the episode, and they asked them questions about various different things. So if we get the chance, we may tune in live to uh, to Aria on the air on NBC Boston. We're not going to be able to pause the live feed, so we'll just have to air it without comment and then comment after uh, afterwards. And I predict that we won't be able to actually air the whole thing because even though this will end because it's a broadcast, it's going to end at 8 o'clock, uh, they're, they did like an online thing earlier this week when they had Jody and Ian Underwood on, who are a couple of early mover free staters. For listeners that don't know, free staters are libertarians who've migrated here to New Hampshire as part of a a large migration that's been going on for roughly two decades. But mm-hmm. they had them in, and the conversation was going so well that they actually did it. They did like an online only overtime, so they they kept it going for like another ten minutes. Uh, basically past the broadcast time so there's a good chance that's going to happen with aria tonight because again she's going to be the shortest interview if they just do the half hour of of the broadcast it'll be 20 minutes of it's going to be for the actual episode about the crypto six and then only like nine or ten minutes will be for her interview so it'll be interesting to see what the whole thing has we'll try to give you a taste of it here in a little bit meanwhile let's go to the phones and to your calls and thoughts and then we'll tell you about a guy in vancouver you're gonna love this story nobody he's opened a store Selling LSD openly wow. in downtown Vancouver. I'm, I'm presuming that's illegal. Well, I mean, he hasn't been arrested for it yet, but yes, it is supposedly <laughs> illegal. Interesting. He's also selling psilocybin mushrooms and I believe DMT. Uh, it's a pretty fascinating story, and we'll share that with you coming up here in a little bit. Uh, but first, let's go to the phones and to Tom on the line from New Hampshire. Go ahead, Tom. Oh uh, yeah, it's about the. Uh... Silicon Valley Bank yeah. uh, disaster over there. And uh, what they're saying was the cause of its collapse was a change in interest rates. A year ago, 30-year treasuries were yielding about 2.6% a year, mm-hmm. and now they're yielding 3.6% a year, which means that if you have some from a year ago, 
and they're at 2.6%, nobody's going to want to buy them when they can invest the same money in 3.6%. And so in order to, because you can't just go cash them in and redeem them like you can with savings bonds. You have to you wait. Get, it's, uh, it's the whole 30 years. So you got to mark them way down to be equally attractive to the 3.6%. That's why uh, long-term bonds are risky, regardless of how risky the uh, the issuer is. It's mm-hmm. uh, an issue of risk of a fluctuation of interest rates can cause the value of your long-term bonds to plunge. And they should have been investing in uh, short-term bonds and not and not government bonds because uh, the government is a terrible institution. They should be mm-hmm. investing in legitimate businesses. But I think this would be an opportunity. Yeah, but all banks do this, right? So let's let's clarify that what happened with Silicon Valley Bank isn't unusual. They weren't doing anything that's like out of the norm for typical bank uh, yeah. behavior, using your money to buy government bonds. It happens all over yeah. the place. This one just happened to uh, not work out for them for a variety of different reasons. And the other thing is uh, this would be a perfect opportunity if the Treasury wants to put $2 bills into circulation, a lot of businesses, a lot of banks uh, don't want to stock $2 bills because, you know, they mm-hmm. never know which customers are going to take a royal fit uh, if they are handed one in when they're cashing their check. I don't want this $2 bill. And so, but this would be a perfect opportunity. Okay, depositors, here's your uh, $50 million in $2 bills. Take it or leave it. <laughs> well, some people are saying the two is the new one. Because mm. of inflation. Well, Ooh. actually, the $100 bill is the new $1 bill. If you look at the price of gold, uh, they were getting uh, $20.67 an ounce in 1933 when they were ordered to turn in their gold. And right now it's almost at $2,000, almost 100 times as much. And during the pandemic, it went well above uh, $2,067. So, yeah, the $100 bill is more like the new one. Thank you, Tom, for the call tonight. I definitely appreciate hearing from you. Uh, It's been about a week since you and I, nobody were talking about the bank failure. And that was it was last Friday when Silicon Valley Bank was seized by the federal government, uh, the FDIC, at the behest of California regulators. Chris, you haven't been on since that time you were sick last week. Did you want to weigh in uh, at all on what you've been? I mean, I don't know how how much attention you've been paying attention to this bank thing. I have a little bit. Um, Yeah. You know, what's interesting is. I, I can't. There was there was uh, some of the stuff I was reading or watching, I should say, um, was bringing up something about Elizabeth Warren. I think it was Elizabeth Warren, um, and apparently she somehow was connected to st- the s- the start of the of the bank run, um, which was kind of interesting because it was it wasn't it wasn't the. Um, What's the word I'm going to say? Uh, it wasn't like it wasn't what everybody else was saying. So there was like it was it was more complicated than that. So they she started it in order to go after crypto, even though that hasn't also been said directly. Sorry, what did she start? I might have missed what you were saying. Uh, the bank run itself, like Elizabeth Warren, yeah, started through it? like some sort of tweeting thing. I think is is if I if I understood really? what was being said. Yeah, like so. There's like this whole other aspect that hasn't been talked about. Um, so she she somehow triggered these investors, the Silicon Valley, yeah. uh, VCs, the venture capitalists to want to pull their money out of the bank. Yeah, something along those lines, and I guess it basically blew up um, because because there's also um, who was the other person that also um, was making was was uh, so was a PayPal founder, one of the PayPal founders, Peter Thiel. Yeah, maybe maybe it was him or. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know, it was one of those guys. Mm-hmm. And um, I know he had done some some phone calls or something too and i think some people were saying it was him but apparently there, w- there was more to it and it was something it was something with elizabeth warren so okay i thought, was, I thought that was kind of interesting because just it, it, nobody had really talked about it and you know it, it they they had the crypto angle in there and you know it was kind of it's been mentioned a little bit but it was sort of it wasn't none of the like uh what was it biden didn't bring up crypto during the speech for example but they've tried to sort of connect it to crypto, and I don't know. It's it's just kind of interesting. I haven't heard a lot about Silicon Valley Bank being connected to crypto, but uh, Signature uh, Bank absolutely was, and that was the second uh, big bank to go down over the weekend. Yeah, I might be confusing the banks, but anyway, yeah. Signature Bank, they were t- um, they had to find a buyer apparently by today, so it may end up being Bank of America, according to one of the headlines I saw. But I don't know if that's been a it's a done deal yet. But Signature Bank they shut down over the weekend, and this week they told the bidders, which are inevitably going to be the mega banks but they told the the bidders that if you take on signature bank you have to dump all the crypto accounts yeah that was something i think that was more recent that i at least yeah, that i saw the last two weeks or two days yeah uh that was something more recent yeah i don't know um yeah that might be right what was their excuse for that i don't know if they bothered to give one wow uh, Barney Frank was on the board of directors of S- Signature Bank, of all people, and he even came out and said that he believes this was an attack on cryptocurrency specifically. The, yeah. The takedown of this bank. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They're they're like, they're trying to cr- create the problem and then blame it on crypto, but it's way more complicated than that. If you want to join the show here, the number is 603-283-6160. Uh, nobody, uh, did, did you, you know, anything you've seen in the bank situation this week that has caught your attention? Or have you had your nose to the, the programming grindstone? You haven't been. I've mostly seen. had my nose to the grindstone. Mm-hmm. I've seen a little bit on the uh, on on the banks, but I haven't really been paying attention to the details. Yeah, it's the same for me. It's just a bit on my periphery. So I, I'm hearing like stuff from others who are following it and not paying too close attention. But yeah, I've been watching it pretty closely, although if anything blew up today, I have not seen it just because we've been traveling and in a courtroom basically uh, all day today. Earlier, uh, I did have a meeting at the new what do they call it? Alpine Gold, I believe is what it's called out in Manchester. They have an actual physical location now where people can buy gold backs. Nice. Which I think is really cool. And actually bought some last week. <laughs> at the at Alpine Gold? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, at New Hampshire Liberty Forum from Alpine Gold. Right, yeah. He was there. He was running a yeah. table. But they, I actually went to the storefront today to kind of give a tour. I, I recorded some video of it, so hopefully we'll, I we'll have saw, a little piece about it that. It was under construction. I saw a video of it under construction. Right. Is it, it's, is it, it's, so done. It's, it's done. Yeah, okay. It's done. It's, it's, uh, it's open by appointment at this point. Uh, but they're there every day. And what's, what was interesting, what I learned, and hopefully some of this will be in the video that, I, that I'll put together, is that they had, like, this place just opened. But since they're tied in with the actual Goldback people, because Alpine Gold is sort of the other arm of, of Goldback, they basically sell uh, the Goldbacks, as I understand it. Because they're tied in with them, they are the only Alpine Gold location, like, east of Utah. And so they're getting funneled all the inquiries from people who are calling up Alpine Gold with questions. And as you might imagine, Hmm. 
with the bank news going on right now, the phone is literally – I was in the office and I heard this <laughs> phone ringing off the hook. Poor Bill Barger's in there. He's uh, the new employee over there. He's ty- he's trying to talk to one guy. The phone's ringing on the other line. I mean he can't even handle the amount of people that are calling with, you know, like just basic questions about the gold back and, you know, how to buy it and how to sign up for a, a United Precious Metals Association membership. They had 177 calls on Monday. Wow. Hmm. At Sound, this one office. Sounds like a, you know, a call center. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. So there's definitely a lot of interest right now in buying uh, gold, right? Like people are looking seriously at buying precious metals, and it's all because of the news about the the banking situation. So even though we're not to the point right now where there's a line outside of the banks, I haven't seen that. I've been, you know, I'm not allowed to leave my house very often, but whenever I'm out, I'm eyeballing those bank front doors just to see if there's anything going well, on. Not Ian, happening yet. It's it's interesting because that you should say that because the uh, bank runs, as I understand it, have been more virtual, um, at least with a couple of the banks because they were you're talking about people pulling money out of the regional banks and putting them in the big banks silicon valley bank i believe especially um but well that happened last week right but it was it was more virtual because there was a line outside the bank i think but most of it apparently as i understand and i might be wrong about this but most of it from what they were saying people ordering wire transfers were were, yeah like wire Mm -hmm. transfers that sort of thing um right uh, because they were mostly uh, businesses that were, you know, it, it catered to startup businesses. So that's how the money was leaving. It, it wasn't leaving VIA like a cash withdrawal or something like that. Well, yeah, most of these accounts were well over $250,000. I believe at oh, Silicon yeah. Valley Bank that the statistics were approximately 97% of the account holders were above $250,000. So we're talking about accounts that had millions, if not a billion dollars yeah in them. you don't just walk in yeah i mean it wasn't withdraw that I, they I don't have like that kind of cash they were talking like 250 million dollar amounts were in some of these accounts yeah. oh I believe so it. yeah i yeah i i mean these these days you can't even walk in and withdraw ten thousand dollars from a bank without them saying well i don't know we, uh, we may not have it in the vault <laughs> uh okay you got to call and order it in advance and they have to actually order the cash from the federal reserve yeah. and have it delivered to the bank branch that number is down it's now eight thousand not ten thousand and i actually know that because i try i i, I took out eight thousand not that long ago mm. um and i found that out i'm like oh wow interesting uh i didn't know i just didn't know Yep, it's a pretty wild situation, and I suspect, you know, it's going to get worse. Of course, we had presidential candidate Aaron Day on the show recently, and he's recommending people get your money out of the banks. Consider putting it into something else, because just shoving cash in a mattress isn't necessarily going to help you. It may stop... It may stop the banks from stealing it from you, but it's certainly not going to stop inflation. This is an interesting interesting subject. It's it's not... Keeping a little bit of money under your mattress isn't a bad idea. No, it's not a bad idea. But diversification is key. So right. having different... Need a lot of different mattresses. Different <laughs> different assets, right? So whether that be gold backs or physical, like gold or silver or crypto or, you know, or an investment in something, right? Yeah. Um, isn't that going to make your mattress lumpy? <laughs> well, if it's a lot of cash or a lot of gold and it's under the mattress, sure. Hmm. So uh, right now, as we mentioned earlier, NBC, and by the way, if you want to talk about the bank thing, feel free to call in 603-283-6160. NBC Boston has been doing their 
uh, series on the Free State Project. It has uh, it is an eleven part series. They're on part ten, which is the Crypto Six. They've had our uh, they've got our very own Aria Demetso in their studio as we speak, watching the first uh, the entire episode of the Crypto Six, and then they're going to talk to Aria. So we're going to see what she has to say. We're going to see what the hosts have to say. We're going to tune into that here in just a moment as they're wrapping out the episode about the Crypto Six. If you want to see this documentary series, recommend you check out NBCBoston.com slash Free State. Episode 11, which is the final episode, is expected to come out this Monday. And they're playing these sort of uh, what they call the watch live watch parties where they're doing an interview with one of the people from each episode. So I believe those are going to wrap out on Monday and Tuesday next week. All of this is available to view on demand online at NBCBoston.com slash Free State. It's been really an excellent series. As far as mainstream media is concerned, this is the best mainstream media coverage I think that the Free State Project has received in the 20 years of its uh, of its existence. I mean, do yeah. you guys agree? Yeah. I mean, um, I, 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 as far as far as mainstream media, absolutely. Um, I don't think it's the best outside of mainstream media, but definitely, absolutely the best in terms of mainstream media. I'm I'm actually shocked that they did the series, yeah, at least this I- this uh, this well. Yeah, I was very surprised that the uh at the tone um that they weren't you know blatantly one-sided blatantly hating <laughs> us. Yeah. Yeah, they play it fair. They they do. They they bring the haters on mm-hmm. to comment, which they got to do that, but they give the free staters more than enough time to say pretty much everything that that needs to be said. I mean, to their credit, uh, honestly, so uh, I actually think they should bring the the, the uh, opposition on. So they to look speak. ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I mean, from our <laughs> perspective, they look ridiculous. I'm sure they have their cheerleaders who are like rah rah, go get them. You know, so it just all depends on how you. I mean, view I, honestly, things. this is the kind of thing that we haven't been able to achieve. Uh, you know, ourselves. I mean, we try to interview when uh, Karen. We tried to interview Karen, and she ran away. I mean, like hmm. she wouldn't even let us come near her. When we tried to do it, so yeah, this yeah. is the first she time. To them, yeah, you know, it's the first time we've actually gotten somebody to interview her in a, you know, uh, an interview and contrast that right. with what we're saying. Yeah, a lot of these guys don't want to talk. A lot of the free state haters, uh, they really don't want to talk at all. All right, so I've got the video. It's supposed to be on right now, but I'm actually not getting any audio out of it. So maybe we're not going to be able to do this. I don't know why it wouldn't be working. But unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be, and that's too bad because what we'll end up probably having to do here is just, uh, you know, having maybe having something with the with the actual playback with the full episode, and it appears to be just a sound card issue, and not NBC's fault. So, what has been your favorite episode so far on this one? The Crypto Six, <laughs> episode ten. Mm-hmm. That's the only one I've seen. I've seen them all, um, and I, I I think the episode ten absolutely hands down is the best episode of the series. Um, I, I'm not saying that there aren't other episodes that were pretty good, but like it, there was just so much content and the 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 video uh, that they had available to 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 do that episode was fantastic. You know, the other one that was good uh, was Croydon. I thought the Croydon one they actually went out there and they filmed. I, no, I, I don't I know. know if the, I got it. Oh, sorry, I got it. Okay. A different approach, so this is. I didn't Aria. know these things then, and whether or not I believe 
I was on the side of right or whether I believe I was on the on the side of you know, universal law is sort of irrelevant to how things have played out. How so? How is universal law? What, what well, are you referring to as universal law? The idea of Bitcoin is to foster peace, right? That's my idea of Bitcoin. And I'm not the only one who says this because the U.S. government's money is used to pay for war, the drug war, poli- uh, the police state, just all manner of horrific crimes. All of that's ultimately funded by the USD, not necessarily through taxation, but because they just inflate the currency. And that's how they really pay for things. So every single dollar you spend, you're supporting the war on drugs. You're supporting the, the war on terror. You're supporting the U.S. dropping bombs on poor people in the Middle East who can't do anything to defend themselves. Bitcoin provides us with an alternative to use money to interact with one another in a way that is decentralized where no one can inflate it and no one can use it to pay for these sorts of atrocities. And that, to me, is a noble goal. And the reason I got into Bitcoin in the first place and the reason I was distributing Bitcoin, I considered it a public service toward fostering peace and getting people away from the government's money. In hindsight, a different method would have been better for me. You know, Aria, your critics... um have said that you were very clever in attaching yourselves to a, a church and um, a, a, an institution that can't be taxed, um, and that you're all some very smart people, and you knew exactly what you were doing. That this was sort of a you know very well thought out way to uh, you know get behind the law. How do you sort of defend yourself to the skeptics who say that? Well, there are, there are always people who say that this religion or that religion isn't a real religion. I mean, there are, there are plenty of people who say that I mean, when we go back in time and we look at Martin Luther or any of the other Protestants, they had the same thing said about them where they were just trying to skirt the law or they were just trying to do X because otherwise they didn't get approval for it. This is the, this is the message of tyrants going back for thousands of years. Whenever And Jesus Christ faced the same thing. There's a reason they sentenced him to death and killed him. When you come out and you have this message that's anti-establishment and it's pro-peace and pro-freedom, the powers that be want to do everything they can to crush that message. And the powers that be isn't necessarily the government here. It's just that, that status mindset that Anything that exists outside of the system, anything that happens outside of the system, anything that goes counter to the system is evil and bad and must be condemned. And they, they think that we were just trying to exploit the religious nature in order to achieve our goals when, no, the goals themselves are religious in nature. What is the message of peace and love if it's not a religious message? To go back to um, the, 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 <clears throat> the mission of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. you can't control what people use Bitcoin for. Correct. I mean, people could be using Bitcoin for terror. People could be using Bitcoin to pay for these or take money and launder money from these romance scams. Um, If there was a when there is a layer of accountability and regulation on the Bitcoin, it does work to keep people more safe. No, I don't think that's true at all. Terrorists, uh, I mean, certainly people use money for uh, use Bitcoin for all manner of things. But terrorists don't use Bitcoin. They use U.S. dollars. You, you don't use Bitcoin to snort cocaine in the bathroom. You use U.S. dollars. The vast majority of drug dealers, I, you know, I've done drugs before, I smoke some pot. They don't take Bitcoin. They take dollars. Dollars is the currency of the realm for all of these things. And sure, you can use Bitcoin with it, but good luck trying to, trying to buy your drugs with, with Bitcoin. You so, know, I, I want to touch quickly on politics. You've run for office. Were you running as a Republican, Democrat, or Libertarian? I was running as a Libertarian initially. I most recently ran as a Republican, but I'm currently a Democrat again. 
what do you make of this two-party system? Do you, you, you seem to be uh, aligning yourself with it to some degree. No, I'm taking advantage of it because the infrastructure is already there. It's already been built. But the two-party system, it's, it's a choice between... It's a choice between two horrible situations, right? The Democrats, they have X that they're right about, and they have Y that they're wrong about. And the same is true of the Republicans. They're right on this matter or that matter, but they're wrong on these other matters. And libertarianism, it, it prefers to take a more rational approach where I, I feel like things are more right. And, but there's no access for that in the American duopoly. It's just you have to side with the Democrats or you have to side with the Republicans. She's doing great. She's doing great. Oh, for sure. I think they're going to hold her over for overtime. We got more Free Talk Live coming up an hour. It will be streaming on our... It's Free Talk Live. We continue here. Free Talk Live. It's hour number two, and they're going strong right now on NBC Boston on their live feed, interviewing our very own Aria Demetso, talking about her being trans in the libertarian movement. We're just going to pick this feed up live, and then we'll comment on it here in a few moments when they wrap it out. If I can get this thing working in, here it is. Um, all of the promotion around the Free State Project and all of the many people who are working to bring libertarians here, I came here as a libertarian seeking a home without knowing anything about the Free State Project because it was presented as a home to libertarians. And what do you want people to know about the Free State Project who think these are a bunch of wacky, fringy, wanting to secede, big gun-toting people that we don't necessarily want in New Hampshire? How do you respond to that? That's a difficult one. I mean, that the world is a big place, and people are, di- people are always going to disagree. There, there are plenty of people who say, look, we don't want this, this vibrant, red-haired, six-foot-tall trans person here either, or, or we don't want these liberals here who want big school, big government, and you know, these fancy schools or fancy roads. There are people who don't want the Republicans there. There's a place for everybody in the United States. And I, I would suggest that if you want a libertarian homeland, New Hampshire is probably the best place for that because it's got a small population. It tends to lean toward libertarianism anyway. But if you, if you do want this sort of liberal paradise, then maybe California or Massachusetts is a better place. And if you want a religious conservative home, then maybe Mississippi or Arkansas or Texas or Florida is a better place. But people who share an ideology, we, we have to go somewhere. Right. And we're not we're not trying to come here and ruin anyone's life. We're just trying to come here and exist and be free and not have anyone else ruining our lives. And and I just want to ask you, when is your sentencing and how concerned are you about going to prison? My sentencing, I believe, is April the 25th. And it's it keeps me up at night. Uh, It causes me significant sleep issues. It's when you have something like this hanging over you, it's always there. Right. And that sort of Damocles, it is always hanging over me. And I know it's going to fall. I know the time is going to fall. And that's obviously April the 25th. But I have no idea what the result of that is going to be. And prison is absolutely on the table, no matter how much I don't want it to be. And no matter how much I I may want to argue against it, it's on the table. It could happen. And that that's terrifying. You know, it's do you want to have your life ruined in six weeks is effectively the proposition. And whether it's six weeks out or four weeks out or three months out, as it was a month ago, it's always there and it's always nagging at me, always in the back of my mind. Um, I, w- I want to circle back to sort of the, the, the foundations of free staters uh, and, and um, libertarianism. The thing that I keep coming up against, which is really hard for me to buy into, is that I feel often that the, if you're in trouble, if you hit a hard time, 
you know, if you want to move across the country and, and move to New Hampshire, um, you're, you're depending on the goodwill of your neighbors <laughs> to help you. Sure. And I think that's a lovely idea, but I don't know that I would want to live my life depending on the goodwill of my neighbors to help me in a time of need. Now, we can all complain about the government, and we can complain about the bureaucracy of the government and the administration taxes of the government and how hard it is to get things. But at the end of the day, the government is required to help me, whether it likes me or not. How do you, I'm asking you to square a lot tonight, how do you square basic human nature uh, versus the idea that if your neighbor's in need, you know, free staters and libertarians say, we're going to be there for you? Well, in my experience, the opposite is true. The government isn't required to help you. When I was going to college, I was married, and I was the only one working in my household. It was just my wife and I, and we, we applied for food stamps because we didn't, we didn't have very much money. There was just one of us working, and I was a full-time college student and a full-time employee working like 48 hours a week. So we didn't have any extra money, and I was working very hard. So we were like, okay, well, let's apply for food stamps. I wasn't even a libertarian then. I think I was a communist then, actually. And we were denied. And the reason was because I was in college and I was told by the government that if I wanted this assistance, if I wanted their help, I would have to stop trying to make my future better. I would have to drop out of college if I wanted to eat. And I've never had a libertarian tell me something so monstrous. When I came to New Hampshire, I was in a very similar situation where I needed to get a job ASAP. I needed to earn some income and libertarians were there because libertarians will help you as long as you help yourself. It's not a handout, it's a hand up, they like to say. But uh, there's more to it than that, in that libertarians get to know you personally, and if you're, if you're trying, they care and they want to help you. Whereas the government, they're just going to treat you like a number, first of all, and they have these insane, insane hoops that you have to jump through. And there's all sorts of stuff in your way. Another example is someone who's making you know, $30,000 a year, and they receive Medicare, Medicaid, whatever government programs you have, in order to get, if, they, if they're offered an extra $5,000 a year, it's going to disqualify them for most of those benefits. And it's a net loss for them to try to move up to get a promotion, to get more income. So it, it pays, they benefit by this government system to remain where they're at and to not improve their life. Just like the, just like the state employee telling me you know, 15 years ago that if I want to have better food, if I want food stamps, or if I wanted to be part of the SNAP program, then I was going to have to drop out of college. The entire American welfare system is set up like that, where it wants you to stay where you're at. It doesn't want you to get better. And libertarians, we want you to get better. We want you to improve your life. So unfortunately, we are running out of time. I want to ask you a really quick question. During all, you're talking about money. Did you make quite a bit of money for a while there doing this Bitcoin no, as, as the documentary points out, uh, scams are rampant. And th this was the reason that we had all of these safeguards in place, that I had all of these safeguards in place in order to try to prevent them, right? This is the reason why I would ask someone, hey, look, you're not being put up to this, are you? You've actually met your husband, as we talked about in the documentary there, and it's because if any of these people go to the bank and they say, hey, look, I wired $5,000 last week to Aria Demetso, and you know, in hindsight, I wish I hadn't done that, so I want my money back. The bank's just going to reach in and take that $5,000 and, and send it back to them. And if that happens even once, you're, you're suddenly out $12,000. And there's, you, 
I was never selling enough Bitcoin where I could withstand a $12,000 hit or a $5,000 hit. So you did not become a multimillionaire throughout this whole process. Oh, no, process. not at all. No. <laughs> Listen, Aria DiMezzo, I feel like there are many more, <laughs> many more stories we could talk to about with you, but you've been a terrific guest. Thanks so much for being here and for being part of the docuseries. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Great. Thanks for continuing to watch us online. We're going to be back on NECN at 7.30 right. on Monday. Good interview. And continue to watch Obviously, we weren't able to play have the whole thing because we had our news break uh, that uh, popped in the way there. But do uh, you guys want to comment on what you heard there? Uh, I thought she did a great job. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I thought... You know the, the the idea this woman had that she can depend on the government. They have to <laughs> right. help her. It's like n- no, they don't have to do anything. They don't have to throw you in prison either. But they might just decide to do that, mm-hmm. uh, not because you're hurting somebody, but because they're getting paid off by the bankers, and the bankers want a monopoly. You know, yeah. um, so there's the, the the government doesn't even have to refrain from murdering you. They can murder you in cold blood and hide behind their badge. And that's why so many psychopaths work for the government, because it's the perfect job for a psychopathic murderer to have. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, the, this lady is just kind of uh, expressing the, the liberal fantasy, right? She doesn't know what it's like she's a relatively well-off news mm-hmm. anchor she's getting i don't know seventy thousand a hundred thousand dollars a year or whatever the salary is for one of the news anchors in one of the major markets in uh in the united states in boston so she's she's doing fine now she mm-hmm. did say in previous episodes that when she was growing up her family was poor but when you're a kid you don't realize all the ins and outs of the welfare system, right? You just know whether or not you got food on the table at, at the end of the day. You don't know what your parents had to go through, uh, what kind of hoop jumping to, they would have had to do. Like And, Ari was and you out. don't know, uh, if you don't have a good knowledge of economics, that you wouldn't be poor in the first place mm-hmm. if the government wasn't crushing opportunity, squandering the nation's wealth on mass murderer and mass destruction, um, you know, that that's the biggest thing to me is that the, the level of poverty we have is unnatural. It could yeah, never oh yeah. happen without the government. Yeah, you know, you know, it kind of reminds me of of there's there's all sorts of programs out there, but it, 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 like I there was I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It, probably since World War II, a lot of the a lot of the programs to help you know poor people, they, they what they did was actually hurt them by concentrating them into a certain area, and then there being no jobs. Right? That mm-hmm. doesn't help people get out of poverty. That keeps them in poverty. Right? And nobody that they have a personal relationship with who can who can help them or who can offer them no, because a they're, job they're or... only surrounded by other poor people who mm-hmm. are in the same boat mm-hmm. as them what are they going to do there, there's no opportunity and that's uh, i think that i think that's the thing that that kind of differentiates libertarians uh you know from socialists is that we want to create opportunities for people not give them handouts mm-hmm. yeah i i want to come back to her question that she asked aria about can you depend on the goodwill of your neighbors uh, and the suggestion in that the, – the idea behind that question is that, well, some people are not good people. And so, therefore, you don't know whether your neighbors who may be bad 
bad people are going to help you in the in a time of need. So we need to have the the state for you to turn to. And of course, as Arya pointed out, that doesn't always help. They have ridiculous rules. The system is is uncaring. The system is cold. It is not uh, personal. It is not loving in any way, shape, or form. But the the hidden message behind her question is that people are not good. Right? That 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 she believes. That people are not good. In fact, she's even said that her neighbors don't like her in mm. uh, in previous uh, previous episodes. And I think that the reality of the world shows that people are good. They jo- mm. they donate a ton of money to charities out there. They help people they've never even met in many cases halfway across the world, mm. giving money to you know disasters, typhoons, and earthquakes and and things like that. So people will help others without even really knowing what the money is going to without even having those personal stories on how those those people are being assisted but if it were true Mm -hmm. that people are so bad then why would you want government around because those people are going to work for the government the idea that government Mm -hmm. is full of saints when the reality we can see the opposite is true it's the the, the psychopaths, as you pointed out, mm-hmm. the uh, the sociopaths, the lunatics, the people that want to hurt others and rule over others, those are the ones that are attracted to the state. This woman has no idea what government is. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, you know, the, I think there's another aspect sort of to this as well. I mean, even if, let's say, the government was like, I don't know, sort of well-intentioned. You have to remember there's there's a there's a cost to administering all of this. If if you're if they're taking ninety percent of your wealth and giving you three percent back, you know, as a poor person, you're lose you're still losing more than than you're getting back. And mm-hmm. they always they they never include the full picture or all the amount all the money that they're taking from from poor people. Because yeah. if 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 ninety percent of your wealth was not taken from you in the first place, you you wouldn't actually be poor and you wouldn't need those handouts in the first place. Right. It's it's the the money is taken from you. A lot of it goes to big corporations and other, uh, you know, I mean, for, for example, during COVID, right? Whether it doesn't matter whether we agree with this or not. But the point is that the government took a lot of money from the people mm-hmm. and who got most of it? It was the corporations. The, corporations, uh, the yeah. people got a very tiny little sliver of it. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Basically, um, <laughs> if, you, if you look at the math of that. Uh, three. The first bailout was something like three trillion. And I went through. Uh, the math a little bit, uh, and if you multiply 320 million people by the uh, $1,200 each they got, mm-hmm. um, it's a small fraction of $3 billion, and they're sad- saddled now with the debt mm-hmm. right. of, with $3 it's, billion dollars in debt for the pittance. $3 billion or $3 the, trillion? Uh, three trillion dollars yeah. in debt for the pittance that they got yeah. uh, when they needed it, and then of course the government came in, shut down their places of business, shut down yeah. their lives, forced them to get vaccines that may well kill them, um, and 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 yet we're supposed to be grateful for this. Yeah, it's it's you know a lot of there was a lot of money that was you know outright stolen by you know your organized crime sorts and just random individuals um but you know it's there's also an administrative overhead cost to it right and that's that's huge actually in most a lot of cases like for example um toll roads about 30 percent of about a third of it goes to administering the system or paying is that all it, it may be, be more than, than that. that. It's but generally it's about a third. Okay. Um, and I've heard welfare. It's like sixty percent goes to administration. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, you might be right. Um, but it's it's at least a third. Basically, can you imagine that? 
at, at running a charity and trying to get donations no, your from donors people would be like, and say, that. yeah, 60% of what we take in goes in our pocket. <laughs> right, right. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's yeah. absolutely insane the way, uh, you know, this socialist system operates. And, and it's not just the Democrats. It's the Republicans, too. They're both socialist. They both have socialist policies. They just won't admit that they're socialist policies. Mm-hmm. I want to say a big thanks to the crew at NBC Boston, not just the producers who put this excellent documentary series together, which, again, you can watch at NBCBoston.com slash Free State. The final episode comes out on Monday. It's free to watch. But to go the extra mile and actually have these discussions that we just witnessed part of uh, one tonight with, with Aria, they didn't have to go to that extent, right? Like, they could have just produced this documentary series put it out there and been done with it. But no, instead they, they took the extra step and they said, let's invite these people into the studio. Let's have an actual conversation. And that I think was a really an, an unnecessary step that really, I think fleshed this documentary out even further. It gave people the uh, ability to follow up on some of the, the things that were said by the other side. And, and they also had some of the people from the other side in uh, to mm-hmm. the series as well. So I think this has been a really well-produced overall, really interesting discussion that I think for a lot of people is going to be an eye opener, uh, especially Ari's discussion. I think she did an excellent job fielding those questions from as a principle to perspective as we've heard mm-hmm. uh, so far in these discussions. So big kudos to, uh, to NBC Boston. And I hope, yeah. hope, hope, I hope, usually don't watch media about the free state project sure. because it just pisses me off <laughs> and this did not have that effect at yeah, all it, it, i agree i mean it's it's like this is most of the time these mainstream media uh they, they'll quote us out of context sure, it's a hit piece in most, you know, most of them yeah they they won't interview us at all you know especially when it comes to politics sure. and you know p- when it comes to the elections right you know they just completely ignore you you're lucky if you get a 30 second to, to two minute long news package that airs one time on you know some news station whereas this is a full-on feature-length documentary film yeah. plus you know they, an hour plus of commentary they know basically. where their money's coming from you know they know who the big uh, spenders are when it comes to advertising mm-hmm. it's the republicans and the democrats yeah, so, that's they true. ignore you. So this is well, real... they stole everything the rest of us have. Yeah, <laughs> it was a real pleasant surprise. We obviously haven't seen the final episode that again comes out on Monday, but I mean, there's no reason to believe it won't be in line with the rest of them. And and you know, playing it as fair as I've ever seen uh, mainstream media play it, 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 if anything, more than fair towards uh, towards the free staters. I bet you, if you clocked it out, I bet you that the free staters get more airtime in these these documentaries. Yeah. Than, than the haters, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, really appreciate these guys. Let's go to the phones here. We got Ricky in Pennsylvania. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, Ricky. Thank you there, Brother Ian, Brother Chris, Brother Nobody. Last night I mentioned that I owned a 45 caliber Colt revolver, and I had the serial number removed and reblued. If I would have been arrested, I would immediately cite three sections from Article One of the Constitution of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Now, if it went to court, I would add this, what Martin Luther King said. He said, a man that commits a crime because of an unjust law to protect himself or someone else is not a criminal. He's a hero, and I take my hat off to that man. I, I really hope that that, that would yeah. work for you, Ricky, in front of a jury yeah. who 
in many cases will just do whatever the government tells them to do and they don't care what the constitution says or what even the law actually says uh in many cases well, i'd like to get brother nobody and chris's thoughts on it too yeah hmm. I, i'll tell you this um when you get a judge they're a former prosecutor when you get a jury they're selected by a prosecutor and it's never yeah. going to be in your favor so even even if you know you have the best possible case you know legally i mm-hmm. i don't know it, it does it, yeah. rarely go in the favor of a defendant we did see it with um there was a lady who's a it, free stater, Kathleen Converse, who did get on a jury, and she managed to flip the entire jury. So they were going to convict, yeah, but she managed to flip them to not guilty. And then also our friends uh, Pete Nadamo from CopBlock.org in a jury in Massachusetts. There was one guy on that jury, wasn't a free stater or anything like that, just yep. some, yeah, the black guy on the jury was like, he knew cops were corrupt and he managed to flip that jury that was all going to go uh, guilty it, as well. It, it happens, but... What I'm trying to say, I think, is it's rare. It's 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 rare. It's, it's lopsided against the defendant. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the statistics, especially at the federal level, oh yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's and something like ni- what is it? Ninety-seven percent plead out, and ninety-seven percent of the remaining three percent. I think it's seventy-eight percent convicted. Yeah. So what right. we have at the federal level is a complete kangaroo court. Yeah. If I may comment on that, what you guys said, one thing that would happen on this is it would actually be tried in Pennsylvania in a Commonwealth court, and I would be my own attorney For on filing that. a serial number off of a gun? I don't know. It yeah. sounds like a federal potential federal uh, issue there. I, I mean, I'm not an expert on all the various different gun rules, but I'm pretty sure there's probably an ATF prohibition on doing that. I wish if Matt were here tonight, he'd be mm-hmm. able to tell us for sure. Oh, there's it's well, definitely I did want to add federally that's federally illegal. illegal. Yeah. So, yeah, good chance you'd be in a federal court in Pennsylvania in that case. Right? Well, I did want to add one thing to this. I mean, I would totally admit that says the Fed that I am guilty of a serious victimless crime. And I have to admit, Ricky from the Commonwealth is pretty damn proud of it. Well, you just admitted it on national broadcast radio. so <laughs> No uh, doubt. Yeah, there's there's that. Uh, thanks, no Ricky, doubt. for the call tonight. No... Uh, let's go to Major Payne on the line in Michigan. Go ahead, Major. Hey, guys. I got a couple, three for you. Um, was it, is it Peakless or nobody there tonight? That's nobody, isn't it? Nobody's here. Yep. I remember you saying that the cops like to hide behind their badges. Well, that's mm-hmm. why they like to call them shields. You can hide behind a shield. Yep. 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 Indeed. Yep. So, uh, Aria, she knocked it out of the park tonight. She I did. don't think I've ever heard her so lucid. But uh, <laughs> there's a, a couple of quickies. There's a if you use eye drops, there's evidently some kind of an infectious bacteria in six, eight, maybe ten different brands of eye drops going around. It's causing all kinds of havoc. Four oh people have had to have their eyes, both of them, surgically Is that your removed. colleague, Major Havoc? <laughs> General Havoc? Yeah. If he is, I've never met. People have had to have their eyes removed. You said because of this. Four- Four Good different Lord. people had to have their eyes surgically removed. Yeah, 
And there, there's another bank. There's another bank that's uh, going down the honor. Hang on. We'll get you, if you want to hang on, Major, you can tell us about the bank news here in just a moment. Uh, the number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. What's he talking about the bank? Joe Biden told us everything was totally fine <laughs> earlier this week. The He says he's not a child molester, too. <laughs> the Secretary of the Treasury said everything's totally fine. It's Free Talk Live. More coming up. That's 603-283-6160. Free Talk Live is brought to you by listeners like you through our AMPS program. You can go to amps.freetalklive.com and you can get signed up there as Barbara Durant has done. She is a Silver Level supporter, which means Barbara is contributing uh, five bucks a month to AMPS. AMPS stands for Advertise, Market, Promote, and Support. It's a way for you to get behind our mission here of spreading the ideas of peace, liberty, freedom, cryptocurrency, alternatives like gold, silver, the things we talk about here uh, seven nights a week on broadcast radio, online streaming, podcast, satellite over uh, sub-Saharan Africa. You can go to amps.freetalklive.com. You can help us with that and get some cool perks like access to the AMP-only podcast, which has the full radio show without any of the recorded commercials. So once again, that's AMPS dot freetalklive.com let's go back to the phones here we have major Payne on the line uh with us uh from michigan go ahead major all right before we get into the banking thing i just heard another news blip on this eyedrop debacle evidently this is across 16 states and i didn't catch this the first time i heard it one person's actually died this Oof. is uh this, this is a uh um 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 a resistant bacteria, they, they don't have anything that can kill it. Oof. I can't remember the word they're searching for. Did they say that there are there multiple brands that are involved in here, or is it one uh, particular one brand? Them, I think it said was no more tears. There was definitely tears in the brand label, and I think hmm. that was the one. Okay. And they don't know Sounds they've like got, there have been a lot of tears. They, 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 they've, uh, they've found open bottles with the bacteria in it. And they've seized other closed bottles, so they're doing tests on them to see if it was a manufacturing thing or if it got funky after it had been opened or what. Yikes. You know, it's known at this point. And you're saying people have had their eyes removed entirely as a result of this bacteria? Four different people, and one dude died. Wow. Or a woman died. All right. And there's all kinds, well, of, and like I said, it's 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 a, a medication resistant bacteria, so they can't figure out how to kill the damn thing either. Well, people uh, who use these eye drops should definitely look into it, uh, do the research, find out where what brands this is affecting, and uh, you know, be careful out there. What else, Major? Yeah, if you if you use contacts or something, just make you a saline flush. Okay. I mean, we're mostly salt water anyway. But uh, so anyway, there's another bank that's gone down the otter slide here. Really? I think it. I think it's from Boston. I'm not sure. I can't remember the name of the damn thing. I heard it earlier in the day, and I should have wrote it down because I knew I needed to call you guys about it. Is that this. Signature Bank? But, uh, uh, well, I don't know how major. That was New I mean, York, I, and that I, was last weekend. Okay. You're saying this is is this breaking news? 
like today? Yeah, this is new. This, this is new stuff. Yeah, about the stock on this bank started falling by forty percent, mm-hmm. and uh, four or five banks got together and they decided, well, we're going to loan them thirty-three billion dollars, hoping that that would put a tourniquet on the situation and stop the stock slide. Well, even after they threw the magic bullet at it, it still went down another thirty percent today. I think so you're referring to First Republic Bank. Ah, uh, like I said, even if you spit it at me, I might not be able to pull it back out of my cranium. So, according to the news, uh, First Republic Bank is that ha- it has Boston branches, but there were people waiting outside of a branch at First uh, First Republic Bank in California over the weekend. So, I mean, they're definitely some sort of a nationwide thing. But according to the news at CBS News, story published today. 11 of the largest banks in the country are bailing out the bank with numerous branches in the Boston area. They're giving $30 billion to First Republic Bank to keep the company from collapsing. Lawrence Glazer, yep. the managing partner at a financial consulting firm, Mayflower Advisors, says, We would expect that this lifeline that First Republic received from these large financial institutions to buy them time to look at their strategic options. The gesture comes just days after the FDIC took over Silicon Valley Bank. Financial experts say First Republic has a large financial footprint in Boston and particularly the tech sector. They believe the fear around First Republic has consumers pulling money from smaller banks and placing it in more larger, what they call so-called stable banks, uh, which seems yeah. to be uh, probably... Too big to fail banks. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the funny thing about this is that none of these banks have... Uh, it, it's all based around fractional reserve banking, although I think they got rid of the fractional reserve part of this. But they don't have the money on hand to give it to you anyway. That's right. Um, so the reason they're failing is because... You're 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 drumming up fear that they don't have the money to give it to you, which is then drawing everybody to go to the bank to get their money out that they don't that they don't have. But that doesn't mean they don't have the assets. This seems to me to be a move. We talked about this earlier this week, Major, with the First Republic Bank bailout. Uh, And again, it's a bailout from the other banks. And thirty billion between eleven banks isn't really a whole lot of money when you think about the kind of money these banks have, right? Like they've got hundreds of billions of dollars if not some of these banks are trillion dollar banks right so like chase or whatever hmm? while they're re- while they're reviewing their assets their stock has plummeted by 70% yeah right how much how, how much you know what are they going to have left worth selling by the end of this outer slide ride it, yeah it's it's interesting because like what is it what is it worth right if people are getting mm-hmm. out and it, it it's 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 basically just as good as the next bank. Uh, what it's worth, I'm going to guess, is kicking this can down the road, right? They, they're they basically, my impression of this, and I'm not a financial expert or anything like that, is you had uh, SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, fail. The, that that weekend, that, that was on Friday, that weekend on Sunday, they see Signature Bank, and then all this week, you've seen stocks of some of these regional banks and even some of the larger banks going down. And they somewhat recovered on one day, but then they went down again. And so, like, they're trying to stave off a bank run. And they're, I think that's what they're doing here. They're saying, it, it, let's throw $30 billion at this failing bank, stop it at least for this week from failing. Maybe they can kick it down for three or four or four months or three weeks or whatever. I Who mean, knows? Doesn't that seem so weird, though? Because it then makes people freak out. And go and grab their money out. 
which it's like yeah, it's like I'm the half, circle. I'm, I'm I'm half tempted to go get my funds out of the bank. I mean, it ain't enough to break them, but it's enough to break me if I can't get it. Well, that's what they're trying to to prevent, right? They're trying to say, "Look, <laughs> there's no more. This bank's not going to fail. We're 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 buoying it up. We got thirty billion from eleven banks. We these faceless institutions care about First Republic Bank. They don't care about First Republic Bank, and they don't care about the customers of First Republic Bank. They just well, as soon see them fail. Said, and what's that? You said that Republic Bank was another one of these crypto-friendly banks. No, I don't think so. At least I never heard bank. about that. I I could have swore I heard you reiterate something Signature about Bank that. was. That was the one that went down last weekend. Signature Bank was uh, about 25% no, no, of their accounts were crypto accounts. All right. Yeah, I know that they had a large percentage, but was Republic dealing in it at all? I'm just wondering if this isn't just an across-the-board slap on the wrist by the old catholic nun well there's you know there's also credit swiss in europe they're uh getting a 50 something billion dollar bailout from the central yeah, bank there the, the, yeah. national, the I, national bank of sweden gave it to him that's correct yeah. these bailouts yeah. kill me it's like i'm sorry if if you lose your money as a banker well you haven't done your job mm-hmm. right and what needs to happen is the assets that are being controlled by the people who can't control their assets need to be controlled by people who can, you know? Well, wasn't, and, I, I don't know. I, I think the, the choice of words uh, isn't really clear. Um, and I don't know about all of the banks, but I think some of the banks, they weren't bailing the bank out. They were bailing for whatever good it, it, it makes this, but uh, they're bailing out the customers of the bank. Mm, well, that was what happened with uh, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. That was the Federal Government Deposit Insurance Corporation. So okay. the FDIC. You may know more than I do. Yeah, I've been following this yeah. pretty closely. FDIC came in. Initially, they said, okay, we're only covering up to 250000 which is their standard thing. But by the end of the weekend, last weekend, Monday, they announced, nope, we've decided we're going to do a quote-unquote special assessment on the banks as allowed by law. This is what came up right out of their press release. We read it on the air. Okay. And we're going to use this special assessment on the banks plus the 100-something billion that was in the deposit insurance fund to bail out the account holders of those banks. The banks themselves have failed. The banks themselves, the executives have been fired. Uh, the the stocks are going to zero. Like, all the stockholders are losing out. But they are this going to... like 150 years ago. Back in the old days, if a bank got big enough, it could issue its own bank notes. Mm-hmm. And then the FDIC or whoever the Treasury Department came to be and, uh, you know, consolidated it all to one note. But... Uh, I, I I would rather have the money printed to me by a man in my backyard that's holding my gold than a bunch of unaccountable SOBs 3,000 miles away. I mean, it's like like they said, you trade one king for 5,000 kings. Thank you, Major Payne, for the call tonight. I appreciate it. Uh, so just to clarify further, so the two banks that have failed in the last week are the ones that had the customer deposits shored up by the FDIC via this special assessment on the banks. Now, that just means that the bank customers are ultimately going to pay the, this price at some point. We're still right. not clear how that's going to happen, but that's what's going to happen okay. there. First Republic Bank has not yet, quote-unquote, failed. So gotcha. I don't know if they've fired any of the executives over this situation, 
there's still the t- stock was trading today. It's down 32, almost 33% in the last 24 hours. It's down quite a bit in the last week as well. It started the week at like $115 and is now $23. Wow. So they're uh, they're not dead just yet. And then so they've been they've been given a cash infusion by these banks. Now, I don't know what strings are attached. That's not in the news, right? We don't know what Chase or Bank of America or whoever these biggies are, the, the t- probably the top 11 banks that threw into this are they just throwing it in and they're saying hey have at it or are they throwing it in and saying we're replacing the ceo with our guy right yeah there's got to be some (laughs) kind of strings attached to 30 billion dollars you don't just give 30 billion dollars to someone that has proven that they don't know how to (laughs) how to handle it right but to me this this sounds like a desperate last ditch move but then again this is government so who knows well, banks, government, I mean, it's they're kind of all tied in together, right? Yeah, that's in what this, I'm saying. <laughs> in this case, at least from the headline, from the story, it's not the government doing this one. It's the top 11 banks who threw in $30 billion oh, to do this. So roughly well, $2, 3000000000 billion apiece. Okay, maybe I misunderstood, but I thought that was on like the orders of some bureaucrat. I mean, who knows what's going on behind the scenes? Because I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's high level discussions at the Federal isn't Reserve. Isn't that which, special assessment? Wasn't that forced on the banks in order? Yes. Yeah. That yeah. Was. So it was. It was some sort of government. Connected. Again, the special assessment is with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank to pay for all the account holders to give them the ability to withdraw their funds. First Republic Bank is still alive, so the right, se- right. special assessment is not applying to them. Right. This is okay. just. It's being portrayed. As a voluntary move by the the eleven big banks to save this poor poor uh, regional bank from total destruction, <laughs> and I don't buy it. Yeah, doesn't it doesn't make any sense except as a last ditch move to stop another bank from having to be seized by the government within one week of the largest bank failure since two thousand and eight. So that seems to me what what they're up to here. And there's, like I said, there's not a lot of details on exactly, you know, what is going on here. Uh, if you want to weigh in, the number is 603-283-6160. Like I said, I haven't been paying close attention to whatever has developed in the banking uh, scene today because we were traveling and recording court hearings today. But according to the AP, stocks fell again Friday to end a whipsaw week on Wall Street amid rising fear among investors that turmoil in the banking industry could drag the economy into a recession. And then they talk about how the various different stock indexes... The economy's been in a recession. They're just lying. Yeah. Uh, The markets around the world churned this past week as worries rose following the second and third largest U.S. bank failures in history. Now, big question would be, if First Republic fails, where does that one rank? How how big are these guys? Honestly, I don't know offhand. I think you can, you might be able to get some of that information from uh, from Wikipedia. But uh, let's see. Thursday markets rallied in relief after two banks in investors' crosshairs bolstered their cash holdings. But Friday, that's today, some of the hope washed out and the pair went back to falling. In Switzerland, you mentioned them, Chris. Yeah, Credit Chris Suisse. Uh, shares dropped 8% today. This is after the news that the the Swiss government is going to bail Credit Suisse out to the tune of 50-something, I think it was billion? I think it was $50 billion to this bank? 
On Wall Street, shares of First Republic Bank sank nearly 33% to bring their plunge for the week to 71.8%. The two banks have different sets of issues challenging them, but the overriding fear is the banking system may be cracking under the weight of the fastest set of hikes to interest rates in decades. Ross Mayfield, investment strategy analyst at Baird, says if the Fed hikes this far this fast, something will break. There's a very clear and evident history of that happening, even in slower, smaller rate cycles. So this comes back to the discussion about what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. Why did it go down in the way that it did? And from what we learned last week, I think we were talking about this, nobody last week was... Uh, and then we had uh, Peakless Mountaineer to talk about it in detail on Saturday night. So you can review those shows if you want a lot of detail on this. But basically, my understanding, and correct me if if you know I'm getting this wrong, the bankers were doing relatively what they consider conservative investments. They were buying treasury bonds from the federal government. But what happened was the federal government raised interest rates so much in the last year, the treasury bonds they bought a year ago don't even come close to what you can get treasury bonds for today. You can get a much better rate today because of the 1,700% interest rate jackups that they've done in the in the last less than a year at this point. By the okay. way, they're supposedly going to do another quarter uh, point here relatively shortly, so they're not, <laughs> they're not done with this. And so ostensibly what happened was the customers of this big bank decided, well we can just take our money out of the bank and put it in treasury bonds ourselves. Why do we need to have this bank pay us? I think it was 1.6% was what the bank was paying out on their, I don't know if it was you know savings accounts or whatever it was, but uh, why do we want 1.6% when we can just walk over to the, the treasury bonds and get them ourselves for 3 4 5% or yeah, whatever it was? It was like, I, I think it was like a sort of like that twofold problem thing I was talking about. You know, if... Uh, if, if, if there hadn't been that fear-mongering, you wouldn't have had the people taking their money out. Well, this is what the uh, Elizabeth Warren you were talking about? Yeah, yeah, which 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 is what then led to the bank not having enough, uh, you know, dollars to basically pay out, which means they had to sell the bonds at lower... Uh, and take a huge hit. Right, and that right. was probably a mistake. Right, right. like an take early a hit. termination right. or and something. and that was probably a mistake in uh, terms of having taken those, I guess, longer-term bonds out in the first place? Well, what were they supposed to do? I mean, they got customers literally banging on their door saying, give me my money. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is this is sort of the danger the, of, of, of fear-mongering. The question is, what order did it happen? So if what happened was the customers, some of them who were paying attention, said, well, we can just go and... We have $400 million in, First Repu- or, uh, in Silicon Valley Bank. And it's earning this amount of interest. But we can get three times that amount of interest if we just go and buy treasury bonds with it. So they withdraw their funds. Then is it Elizabeth Warren who says, oh, my God, these people are withdrawing their funds from uh, Silicon Valley Bank. You better get your money out. And why would she do that anyway? I think it – well, because something to do with, like, crypto or something they were trying – I don't know. Yeah. Again, I, I wish I, I wish I was. You gotta find. You gotta research this one. Yeah, Chris, it's, I, I don't have enough information. Uninformed. I don't have an article here, yeah. and I'm trying to pull this from what I remember. Right. Uh, if so, you know out there, and you want to comment, how does Elizabeth Warren factor into this? Because that's the first time I've heard 
her name brought up in this particular discussion. I know she's a crypto hater. I know that she's been yeah, on the attack against yeah. crypto. Um, unfortunately, there hasn't. The only place I've heard of Elizabeth Warren uh, being brought up actually is by people who are crypto people who uh, who fo- have followed this much more in depthly. Mm-hmm. So. Clearly, that's not us. We've uh, you, Ian, I guess, have followed at least what's been going on in the media, but it wasn't reported in the media. Therefore, hmm. <laughs> we don't have an article to point to. Analysts have been quick to say the current chaos for ba- banks looks nowhere near as bad as the 2007-2008 financial crisis that ruined the global economy. But the troubles still feed into concerns about a recession because problems for banks could mean problems for smaller and mid-sized companies getting the loans that they need to grow. Well, now that's that's probably just when they say analysts, they probably mean the mainstream ones because there's certainly plenty of people at you know Zero Hedge and, and other sites that are predicting doom and gloom. And one takeaway from this has been that the Silicon Valley Bank run was actually more extreme than what happened to the big bank fail, that failed. The one that was bigger than Silicon Valley, because remember, Silicon Valley is number two, in the history of the United States, the number one, according to Captain Kickass, was Washington Mutual, and that oh, went that's down right. in two thousand and eight or somewhere in that. Yeah, in that it was a range. while ago. But somebody brought up that the run on Washington Mutual actually took longer. It was a ten-day period, and the amount that was withdrawn, I believe, I don't remember if it exceeded Silicon Valley Bank. But Silicon Valley Bank was $45 billion in like 24 hours. So it was a much more like concise, short-term, more intense run on that particular bank that, uh, that took it down. All, all goes back to the startups. What do you mean? Well, because they were focused on startups. It yes. wasn't it wasn't a bank for you know you and me. Yeah, you had to have a lot of money, right? I mean these these were people who had you know your, the average like balance was more than the two hundred and fifty thousand right? dollars that was insured. I think they I don't remember what exactly the percentage was, but it was like a very tiny percentage of the uh, the money. I guess was, it was 3% insured of the accounts. Were less than three percent was insured. Three percent were less than the, yeah. Was it two hundred fifty thousand or three percent of the money in the bank was insured? Three percent, I believe, of accounts. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the average account holder was there. That that would be an interesting number to to see. Yeah, I think the numbers I I was hearing it was like three percent of the money, not the mm. accounts. But I don't I don't okay. know. Either way. Uh, so let's see. What else can we take away here? If you want to comment, you can join us. The number is 603-283-6160. Let's talk to Sarah. She's in New Mexico. Sarah, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Oh, we finally enrolled a house cleaning company, and they got put under me. So after three months, I'm going to be getting 7% royalty dollars. So you are running this business. You're calling in again about your network marketing business that you denied, denied, denied running as a business. You said you were just ordering the product because you like the product, but it sounds like they've sucked you in. Well, you know, I don't make money. I just get it a free You just said $7. Yeah, 7% is about $3, $4, so I could buy something with it. I could put it towards my purchase. So you're only getting credits. You're, you're getting 7% of every purchase, but you're only getting it as credit towards an account purchase. Well, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I can only buy products with it. Mm-hmm. That's all they give you. So that's only like I. I, only I mean, got- that still sounds kind of like a business to me. I mean, I realize you're not getting uh, cash in per se, but you are getting, you know, some value in. 
right? You're getting an increasing amount of value coming through the door. I mean, that's that's something. That's you're doing yeah, something I, I for mean, that, right? That, or, I mean, or did they okay, do it for but, you? Did but, they put the person underneath you without you having to recruit them? No, I'm the one that I went to this restaurant, mm-hmm. and then the person that works there, it's their sister-in-law that has a home cleaning business. And they they must have heard they must have knew about our natural cleaners, but they wanted to use it in their business. So hold on, so you you pitched up. them just to let me clarify how this happened. You actually went into a restaurant. Were you a customer of the restaurant, or did you just randomly yeah, walk no, in? Yeah, no, I I ate steaks there. They had hamburgers, and mm-hmm. I talked to the workers there. And then she had a daughter that had arthritis so bad there she's had, um, got injections. So. We're trying to enroll her, and in the process, we enrolled her So you're doing sales. You're doing door-to-door sales. You're going around cold calling, or in this case, I guess it was a warm uh, visit because you'd, you'd eaten there before, so they might have they might have recognized you, and you're pitching them on on product. Good for you, Sarah. I'm really proud of you to go around and you know do some actual capitalism, to do some free market uh, sales. Uh, congratulations. This is a big moment in your life, and uh, thank you for the call. The number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. We got a whole hour to go. Plenty of time if you want to join the show. Bring up what you want. Speaking of amazing businesses, and I'm being facetious towards <laughs> towards uh, Sarah there, but a real amazing business, a gentleman named Dana Larson is on a mission to provide Metro Vancouverites with LSD, mushrooms, and more. We'll tell you about it. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live, and we are getting on the third hour of the show. You can join us. Bring up anything you want. The number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. In the studio with you tonight, you've got Ian and Chris. Nobody. And you can join us online anytime you want. Head over to freetalklive.com and enjoy the features there. Uh, we talked earlier about the Free State Project with our very own Aria DeMezzo heading down tonight to NBC Boston to have a live interview. We played a good chunk of it on the air. Uh, the full episode is going to be available tomorrow sometime on the NBC Boston Free State website. It's nbcboston.com slash freestate. Just click on Extras sometime probably tomorrow in the afternoon, and you'll be able to find the episode with Aria as their special guest. Highly recommend you check that out. Check out the whole series of them. They've been excellent so far. If you haven't, it'll really give you a good insight into the Free State Project and the kind of impact uh, that it's having here in New Hampshire. Because if Free uh, Free Staters weren't having an impact, they wouldn't be worth doing a feature-length documentary (laughs) movie about by a major mainstream media news organization. So, like, that's proof right there. The fact that this thing even exists is proof that the Free State Project has, like, high and above been way more successful than the entirety of the Libertarian Party has nationwide in the 50-plus years that they've existed. The Free State Project has done, I don't know, 100 times more in 20 years, basically. We get constantly targeted by the haters by the the big government status because the free staters are actually a threat not a violent threat but a peaceful threat to the status quo 
They hate us for our freedom. They sure do. Let's go to the phones here. We got Reverend uh, Ratspeed on the line to kick things off, and then we'll talk about the guy selling LSD on a storefront in Vancouver uh, up in Canada. But uh, Ratspeed, you're on first. Go ahead. Hi. How you doing? So I made a thing, and I would like to share that thing with you. Okay, great. And uh, so on social.freetalklive.com, it's an exclusive. Uh, I went ahead and I, I... I made a chart, a modified political spectrum chart. Okay. Based off of a personal realization, which may, maybe some may agree with or not, uh, about the meaningless, ambiguous relativity of the words right wing versus left wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they seem to be less and less meaningful as the world changes. So I made a chart which instead of using left versus right, it keeps authoritarianism and uh, permissiveness, but instead of using left and right, I compared it with two diametrically opposed political philosophies, collectivism versus individualism. Okay. And from there, I was able to pinpoint where in relation to those four different ideal or four different philosophies mm-hmm. where different political ideologies are in relation to one another and and i would love it if uh maybe not at this very moment since you're already in, uh, in involved in the conversation you haven't had a chance to look at it I'm yet i'm looking but... at it right now i uh, oh. i pulled up your profile which is at oh, okay. ratspeed at social.freetalklive.com it's your most recent post and, you know, at a glance, it's interesting. So on this chart, for those that aren't familiar, uh, years ago, the Libertarian Party founder, David Nolan, created what he called the, uh, I think he called it the diamond chart. And it, it kind of allows people to take a quick quiz, which they call the world's smallest political quiz, and they answer whether they agree with 10 different issues or not or whatever, and then you can kind of put somebody on the chart as to whether or not they're a liberal or they're a conservative or they're an authoritarian or they're a libertarian or they're a centrist, and that was kind of the uh, that chart. And since then, there have been various different variations uh, on that sort of original concept proposed, the idea being to help kind of expand people's viewpoint on politics from just left or right or center, which is really oversimplistic and when you start asking questions, doesn't really make much sense. And so adding an extra sort of dimension to that chart, instead of it just being left to right, you now have left to right and up and down. So you've got two axes, right? X and Y. Absolutely. And so you've taken this this chart to a, a different level, I guess, and you've you've kind of added your own spin to it. I guess my my just looking at it, it looks pretty good, but I, I gotta I gotta ask uh, so one of the axes here is collectivism is on the left, individualism is on the right. So collectivism would go from, on the left, communism to libertarianism all the way on the right of this chart. Not to say that libertarianism is right, it's just that's just where this is on the chart in this case. Ah, uh, yes, that, but, that's an important item. Uh, where things happen to be in relation to each other is com- completely coincidental if it's quote-unquote left or right on the chart. Left or right has been, uh, politically speaking, the ideologies has been completely removed from this chart. Right, this right. is purely looking at the four different ideologies of collectivism, 
individualism, authoritarianism, and then permissiveness. In other words, uh, the I guess you could call it the the carrot or stick approach. And, yeah. So uh, my liver, my question yeah. for you would be. Why do you consider – so on this chart, again, from left, it goes from collectivism to the right, individualism. At the top of the chart, so top to bottom, it's authoritarian at the top, and then at the bottom, it's permissive. So libertarian ah. would be libertarian would be both individualistic and permissive. I have a feeling I know where you're going with this. Why is, why socialism, is socialism – yeah, why, why is socialism <laughs> considered to you individualistic? Because that's where ah. you have it. You have it at the top of the chart, so it's authoritarian, which is certainly true. But then you also have it to ah. the right, which which sets it as individualistic. So explain that one. Uh, so yeah, yeah, and this is this was actually kind of a surprise to me. And I should just want to say that this is a rough draft, and I'm open for some feedback and input on this. Whenever people talk about socialism, some people are talking about it socially, other people are talking about it economically. I've I I am not uh, uh, focusing on. Either one of those, and I've no, because like a, some encyclopedia, like Encyclopedia Britannica, specifically talks about it being a, a economic policy uh, ideology, versus Wikipedia, which talks about that it's a political philosophy and movement. Socialism originally meant collectivism, when the person right. in the 19th century came up with that. So socialism has kind of been turned more or less into like. Uh, an authoritarian way of taking property away from individuals mm -hmm. versus libertarianism, which is no one has the right to take your property away at all. So this could take the, the form of taxes, but you're still able to own private property. It's just that you're being forced authoritarian wise to share it with others. So you can have a business, but you're, you're going to be paying a heck of a lot of taxes to own that business. And therefore you get, social policies and and uh you know benefits from that so it's not necessarily the same it's in fact it's opposed to communism i realize because communism really? you don't have any property it belongs mm. to the collective mm. and if you could think about it in in the most left-wing terms you're not going to have an authoritarian regime to take your property away it's uh, i thought of it more or less as like the kind of like the hippie commune it's like everyone yeah i see you know, what you're saying lives lives. so totalitarianism. i'm still not clear on how socialism is considered individualistic uh well i'm thinking about it in terms of countries such as uh netherlands sweden things like that uh what people would normally call democratic socialism mm -hmm. Whereas people are allowed to have private property. I see, I see. But you got to give some of that property away. Otherwise, we're going to put you in jail or penalize you in some way. Okay. So right. it, it allows individualism to happen, but not 100% individualism. In fact, it's like the opposite of... It's authoritarian. As you're pointing out here, it's authoritarian individualism. Yeah, exactly. It's, but more it's, on the authoritarian it, side. Then. Precisely. You know, and then... Yeah, yeah. The whole thing seems kind of weird to me, just because I, I I'm I'm somewhat conscious of the fact that like if you look at communism, like you know Soviet Union, um, they had private property. It wasn't completely what? non-existent. It, it was it, it was like the factories were not, but no, like, those were state owned, right? No, they had uh they had they had a currency and they had um uh you you I mean yeah the stores were like you know 
government run, but people, ah. people could buy, um, especially during certain parts at, at a minimum, um, you could buy apartments or cars. Um, it just wasn't, uh, you know. <laughs> it's so just, maybe, it would, maybe in that case, maybe uh, the Soviet Union would be brought down a little bit, a little bit closer to syndicalism. I don't know about in that. Words, I mean, that's, that's news to me having, I mean, I've not done a whole bunch of research, but I, I, I have read some Solzhenitsyn and uh-huh. I mean, the, the, government was running the factories under, under yeah I, I just said that that's not what i was saying i was saying individuals still owned property in these communist countries it was just and you so there were there were there's there was i guess multiple systems sort of um the one system you got on a list and you could end up with a house after who knows how many years or a car or whatever to the extent that they had enough just cars you had but, a car to drive didn't mean that the state didn't consider itself the owner of it Okay. Uh, uh, there, there was a differentiation made between private property and personal property. There is, uh, believe it or not, if you look at uh, look it up. Uh, I want to uh, before we go you, on. You mean it, under uh, communism? You're talking about where the yeah. communists. I, I, I just want to say I'm no expert correct. on this myself. So okay. yeah. Uh, now one thing I want to point out. Yeah, I, would, I, was, I think that any house that you would have had, any kind of uh, condo or or I mean, there wouldn't have been condos, but apartments. These would have been in the old tenement buildings or whatever that were communist owned and com- you know government operated. If you're moving up, you're moving up because you're good with the party. You you've got you're in with the party and you get the better digs basically. I mean, nobody have you done any kind of research into the the Russian communist situation? Um. Well, there is a uh, story that Ronald Reagan told about it. He said there was a he had to pay about. Uh, 10 years in advance if he wanted to get a car. Mm. Um, and it was a crap can car, too. Yeah. Communist car. Yeah. So there was this guy who went in to, to buy his car, and he, he gave the guy a, uh, gave the guy the money, and he got put on the list, and the guy said, well, okay, 10 years from today, you can come back and pick up your car. <laughs> guy says, morning or afternoon? <laughs> so hey, He says, what does it at- matter, morning or afternoon? Uh, and and the customer says, "Well, the plumber's coming in the morning." <laughs> so, uh, if if you if you consider totalitarianism versus communism, you could compare it to Stalin versus Bernie Sanders as an example. Now, real quick, I want to mention before you let me go, the A in the middle, that's anarchy. I uh-huh. made a sudden realization: anarchy is none of them. It's like mm. the nullifier. It reminded me of when I looked at the the drug chart it's like you know you have uppers and downers you have stimulants you have uh, uh psychedelics versus uh, and then right in the middle of that chart was cannabis it's like a nullifier hmm. and i realized that's what anarchy is anarchy is the up it is like i get off my lawn i don't want to be part of anything that you're selling to me go away i don't want to be part of any of these ideologies to, you know and then i realized because also anarchy can be applied to any one of these other ideologies as anarcho-communism, anarcho-capitalism, which mm. I would put as part of libertarianism or voluntarianism. So I realize anarchy necessar- is like it's the most centrist political ideology. It's You're interesting. not part of any of that. So yeah, yeah. I just yeah, I think you. I think you're definitely going to get a conversation started on this, and as you said, it's in a beta <laughs> uh, kind of test mode. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I put I put it together last night. I didn't get any sleep. I went to bed this morning at six o'clock, and I said, mm-hmm. okay, I'll 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 leave it for later when I have some some brain cells left. 
Yeah, uh, but- <laughs> I, uh, I'm looking forward to the day when there's one of those quizzes or whatever where you can take a oh, you know 50 question hey. survey. Uh, Anyone who wants to make one, go feel free. I don't like say that I own this, which I guess could be considered a uh, communist uh, ideal. Or uh, <laughs> only if you're forcing it like, on other people at gunpoint. No, that would be a- yeah, I was thinking about uh, like you know socialism, right? Uh, the pirate party and people who believe in uh, against intellectual uh, property. Mm-hmm. Uh, could be considered on the social side of things versus the libertarian side, which says that well, you have to pay me to use it. It's well, it's, it's kind of a there's paradox. a lot of libertarians, myself included, who don't believe in in uh, in uh, intellectual property. Yeah, I yeah, don't think any of us in this room do. Right? Yeah, it's I mean it's it's the problem is it's artificial and created at the point of a gun, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so so I, you're kind of giving in, it to the collective. You're giving it to everyone to be able to share, but it's voluntary. No, no because you could. I, I don't think that's. I don't think that's accurate necessarily. Phrasing of it, you could create something and not share it. Nobody's here saying that you should be forced to share it either. Um, so yeah, maybe yeah, voluntarism then maybe. If you're yeah. against intellectual property, yeah. you generally are in favor of open sharing, though, right? Like those yeah, that's probably true. Go together. But that like, doesn't like, mean somebody uh, wants to force it on you either, right? Like, I can be in favor of sharing, but not want to force it on somebody else if they don't want to. Generally, sharing doesn't go along with force. <laughs> well, anyway, I, well, that I, might I be, but... Some, yeah. I, I mean, in theory, with the government, they going. do all sorts of weird stuff, so... Hey, Ratsby, thanks for calling. Thanks for sharing this. Oh. If you want to check him out, go to social.freetalklive.com and just search for Ratspeed there, and uh, his account will come up, <laughs> and you can comment on this uh, proposal and this idea. Thanks, Rats, Ratspeed. Appreciate it, man. What kind of speed do rats do? I don't know. Ice kind of speed? I, you, good question. Hmm. Uh, the number here is 603-283-6160. You can join the show. You can bring up whatever is on your mind here tonight. So, speaking of drugs, uh, this is a story I've actually been holding on to in the hopes of having this dude on the show. I sent him a message when this news first got out. And actually, I, I found out about it from him because I follow him on uh, social media on Twitter. He's actually on, He just got on Mastodon, too, recently. Oh, nice. Uh, his name is Dana Larson, D- D-A-N-A, Dana Larson, and he's like one of these longtime drug decrim, drug legalization activists in Canada. He's been at this for decades, uh, so he's well-known up there, maybe not as well-known down here, but if you're in the, the drug legalization movement, you probably are familiar with it, with his name, and if you're not, you definitely should be, because this guy has balls, The I mean, the largest... <laughs> Uh, that I've ever seen. I mean, he is incredibly You've ballsy. Seen hmm? You've seen him? Uh, <laughs> well, they're basically on display on, uh, where is this here? Vancouver, two, 247 West Broadway. There's a new shop that's opened up. This from a website called Vancouver is Awesome. Uh, he's on a mission to provide Vancouverites with a safe supply of illicit substances. But he's doing it in phases. He notes, I've not taken all the mushrooms on the menu, Describing how he has a dozen shroom strains for sale at his new shop. Uh, nobody would wow. probably recognize some of the the names of these strains, including penis envy uh, <laughs> and uh, others that you know have been heard of. And even I've heard of that one for a long time. Uh, he says penis I, envy are probably the best mushrooms I've had. They're incredibly strong, like shocking mm. level. Um, but other ones as well. Golden teacher, I think, was in there. Oh, yeah, those are good, too. 
But uh, there was a video where you can actually see the menu in this this shop and all the different drugs that they have available. He says, I do microdose. I take LSD sometimes. I take mushrooms sometimes. I try to sample what I can, but I've not tried every product in the store. <laughs> he says, while he hopes to open a brick-and-mortar compassion club for heroin users in the future, the advocate currently offers a host of psychedelic drugs and what he describes as plant-based medicine. The new shop opened up Monday, February 13th, offers a range of illegal products. Psilocybin mushrooms, more commonly referred to as magic mushrooms, are some of the most popular items for sale. Each one offers a distinct experience, ranging from a more relaxing sensation to a profoundly psychedelic journey. Larson tells Vancouver is awesome. The hallucinogenic fungi can also be microdosed for more manageable trips, he says. When people buy from mushroom dispensaries, they're made aware of the dose they're taking. They also know they're getting a safe supply that has been tested rather than purchasing their drugs on the street, according to Larson. So this is a harm reduction uh, effort in this Mm -hmm. case to help people get reliable, testable supply of some of the most uh, potentially useful substances known to mankind. We're only just scratching the surface now with some of the studies that are being done on psychedelic substances these days, uh, and it's really showing a lot of a lot of promise. Yeah. The Vancouver Advocate founded a community drugs testing service called Get Your Drugs Tested in 2019, which offers a place for drug users to get their substances checked for harmful contaminants seven days a week, free of charge. He says, we've tested over 40,000 substances now. Whoa. Saying that they've added all the results are on a searchable database on the website, which is getyourdrugstested.com. He says, we're doing like two-thirds of all the drug testing in the province from our one location at 880 East Hastings Street. Customers can purchase LSD in a diluted liquid form where they can microdose it or take it for psychedelic purposes, according to Dana. An LSD trip lasts significantly longer than an average mushroom trip, notes Larson, with the effects of the former lasting upwards of 10 hours. Both substances are included under Schedule 3 of the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act of the Criminal Code in Canada. Which is why it's amazing that he has not been arrested as of yet for doing this. And it's not. The thing is, he's been doing stuff like this for years up there. He's just now expanding into LSD. He's been offering mushrooms for sale prior to this. I think he was in the news last year uh, for doing that, as a matter of fact. I wonder where he managed to buy enough cops to get away with that. Yeah, I... These are some of the questions I really wish I could ask him. I approached him on social media. I sent him a message saying, hey, you know, we've we've had uh, Mark Emery on before, who's a big cannabis freedom advocate up there. They actually used to work together at High Times or sorry, not, not High Times, uh, cannabis, cannabis Culture, Culture magazine. So, you know, that, that this guy goes way back. And so, you know, I dropped a name and I said, hey, we'd love to have you on uh, Free Talk Live. And he said yes. And. Then I didn't hear back from him. So, you know, I pinged him again once, but I'm not going to bang down the guy's door. You know, if, uh, I don't want to be a pest or anything like that. So hopefully he'll get back to me at some point. I imagine he's he's busy unless he's been arrested. And I just haven't seen the, you know, the headlines about that. But incredibly uh, ballsy. There's more to say, though. He also sells DMT, which is another uh, fast acting psychedelic. He might have uh, just dropped some mushrooms and, and forgot all about me. <laughs> Uh, also sells peyote, which is derived from plants with uh, psychoactive qualities, as well as coca leaf tea, an herbal tea that is derived from the same plant that cocaine comes from. You mentioned uh, P. 
penis envy. I did some penis envy mushrooms with uh, Wendy one time, mm-hmm. my my ex girlfriend, and and we we dropped a, a, a eighth of an ounce each of them, which is a lot of penis envy. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and we we were listening to the, to uh, an album by the Doors called An American Prayer. And uh, we'd accidentally put it on repeat, and it was playing through for the fifth time. And and she said, "Don't you want to change the music?" And I said, "Yes, I do, but I don't know how." <laughs> oh boy! All right, there's more coming up here. If you want to tell your uh, trip report, you're welcome to join us. The number six zero three two eight three sixty one sixty. I'll see if I can find an update because again, this story is from a few weeks ago. Uh, but I, I I think he's still out there. I think he's still posting on social media. The number six zero three two eight three sixty one sixty. How is he doing this? Is this something that can be duplicated by others in Canada? If so, it should happen. More coming up. Is 603-283-6160. We're talking about a, I would say, one of the biggest heroes of the drug uh, legalization movement, Dana Larson, who basically he's got the position of why wait? He doesn't want to wait on politicians to end the war on drugs in Canada. He just decided to put his money where his mouth is, open up an actual shop, a physical location. Where not only can you buy psychedelic mushrooms, but you can buy LSD, you can buy DMT, you can buy mescaline, you can buy coca tea, cocaine tea, basically, coca leaf tea. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, this guy, oh yeah, and they got some weed too. <laughs> like, that's like hmm. the least interesting part about this, right? Because Canada's, it's legal there, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Amazing stuff. Uh, he's on Twitter. He's he's uh, at Dana Larson. That's D-A-N-A-L-A-R-S-E-N. Still posting. He does not appear to be uh, in a jail cell. Uh, he posted today earlier citing UN uh, member states being advised that they're going to envision a drug-free world. He says, drug-free world? LOL. People are still promoting this idiotic idea. What does that even mean? They want to ban beer, prohibit pot, stop psychedelics, eradicate coca bushes, and drive opium poppies to extinction. So dumb, so pathetic. What losers? I want to see a UN-free world. Indeed. So this guy's doing amazing work, uh, and kudos to VancouverIsAwesome.com for doing a, what is it, just ultimately a brief piece about it. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't get into the the big question that I had, and I don't know if this there's got to be an interview with him somewhere where he explains, you know, what where he's coming from from like a legal perspective. Because I know that there's uh, an organization here in the United States. We've had them on the show. Uh, we've had the founder of it on the show before, and they sell weed and now mushrooms online to anyone who wants to buy it. Hmm. And uh, and I I apologize. It's the name of it is just escaping escaping me at the moment. Uh, but they've been in business for some time, and it's pretty impressive. You know what they've uh, what they've been able to do. Uh, they they had some trouble initially, but since that time, it's uh, it's gone pretty well for them. 
and I'll see if I can find the the name of it. And I uh, apologize because we've we have talked about them in great detail. Canasense. Uh, Canasense mm. is the name of the company. Does that ring a bell to you at all? No, no, I've never heard of them. Yeah, they're worth looking into. I mean, obviously, you know, we're on uh, bail conditions and all that, or or your, in your case, sentencing. Uh, mm. Probably can't be uh, doing those things at the moment, but the average person My they PO believe doesn't care if I smoke weed. Well, that's good, but uh, they believe that they are legally protected, and I I don't recall the sort of the legal. They've got lawyers, right? They've done this research, and, <laughs> and they so believe did we. Yeah, yeah they, get six no, lawyers, each one will give <laughs> you a different answer. True, good point. But the you know the the proof in the, is in the pudding at the very least in Canada for this guy who's running Dana Larson running an actual shop where you can buy this stuff. I mean, you just walk in now. I think you do have to buy a member. You have to do like sign up for a membership essentially. Hmm. But that's it. It's a it's a members club, wow. and you can buy DMT. You can buy peyote. You can buy uh, all kinds of uh, interesting stuff. They also have kratom. Uh, which comes from a tree in Southeast Asia and is used as a substitute for street opiates and fentanyl. While it's not in the Controlled Substances Act, it is not to be sold for, quote-unquote, human consumption. Uh, While many advocates have touted the therapeutic benefits of using magic mushrooms, Health Canada cautions they can cause people to have intense fear and paranoia, possibly resulting in bad trips or flashbacks. These situations may lead to risk-taking behavior, which may then lead to traumatic injuries or even death. Pretty rare that that's going to happen, but that's a good reason to have what you call a trip sitter with you. Somebody who may not be on the the same mushrooms, somebody who's got some experience with um, these substances, who can help someone out in the, the event of a bad trip. And in a lot of cases, a bad trip is just you coming to grips with some sort of internal issue, some mm-hmm. kind of personal uh, some experience that you had that was, was negative. Maybe you, you walled it off in your uh, subconscious or, or whatever. There's something that you haven't dealt with, basically, and that's that mm-hmm. likely rising to the forefront. And a lot of times the so-called bad trips are actually the best trips mm-hmm. uh, once you get through them because a lot of times you can resolve whatever um emotional pimples you have that need popping right and it could be a really important experience for you to go through uh but that that said you know there obviously are some people who have some some really tough uh stories and they they needed some assistance and there are safe ways to do this like i said involving having an actual trip sitter especially if it's your your first time out uh, Larson believes the benefits of legalizing substances like psilocybin far outweigh the cost of lives lost and putting people in uh, putting and people putting themselves in harm's way to access them. He says, I hope this is the beginning of more stores like this in Vancouver. This is part of an effort to end the war on drugs by trying to do civil disobedience. He says, I don't think we would have legalized marijuana in Canada if there wasn't a massive act of civil disobedience from coast to coast. And I think what he's referring to here are what was a similar approach uh, in Canada, after Mark Emery got out of prison in the United States, for those of you that don't know the, the story, it's pretty crazy. Uh, do you know the story? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he uh, he was selling seeds, I guess. That's right. the mail. Yep. From and, Canada. Yeah. And did five years in the United States. Yeah, he sure did. Uh, the DEA had him as like their number one most wanted so-called criminal. And the Canadian government snatched him up, 
handing them across the border to uh, their buddies in the United States, and he spent five years in federal prison for selling seeds voluntarily to other people on the internet. So crazy. Did he did he plead or did he go take a trial? Great question. I don't know the answer. I should know because we followed it. This was like you know, yeah, 10, I, 15 years ago or yeah. whatever. We did follow the case. We had Mark on the show. I, I'm sure I've heard. Uh, I've I've read the case at some point myself, but I don't remember yeah. either. That's what I'm. Good question. Yeah. Uh, if you know the answer, you want to call in the number six zero three two eight three sixty one sixty. But anyway, he got out of prison, went back to Canada, and I guess they didn't correct him because he went right back to uh, marijuana, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <laughs> marijuana related activism, uh, and he started opening up stores. And I suspect Dana Larson was doing this, too. I just wasn't following him at, at that time because, uh, again, they're old buddies. And uh, I don't know if they still are, but uh, they were uh, – Emery was opening up storefronts in, in many cases more than one in a given city. So, like, in Vancouver or Montreal, he, I think he was doing them, like, across the country. And they were being targeted, like, by the by the police at that time. So, I mean, there was definitely some tough roads to, to travel to make this happen, but – just getting it out there to people and sort of legitimizing the the marijuana user, I think, was part of what they were trying to do of like, look, here's a line of people longer than a city block that are lined up waiting to buy marijuana illegally from an open storefront uh, where they can just order, you know, right there on the spot, pay cash, walk away with cannabis. So, of course, the cops are going to. Uh, we're going to target them, but uh, Mark Emery, I don't know if he was ever facing any serious charges for that. I don't. Re- I, again, we're so disconnected from it down here, even though Canada's just you know <laughs> four or five hours away uh, from here. And that's why I hope we can get uh, this gentleman on the line, Dana Larson, to actually talk about the sort of the legal theory behind this. What is their plan if and when the police come in? And, you know, know, sometimes the police take their time on these things, right? Like, they don't always rush right in. Sometimes they want to send in some undercover buyers. They want to, you know, get some of those on the record. But it's been a month so far. And this is after he already had, I believe, a uh, one of these coca tea locations that he opened up some year or two ago or whatever. And I think he also was selling mushrooms at that time. So he's he's already kind of paved the way for getting psychedelics out to just the average person, people who want to just walk in and buy them. So if, you, uh, if you've if you been following this story closely, maybe you're in Vancouver and you know more about this, feel free to give us a call. It doesn't have to be tonight. Maybe you're listening to this later on on a podcast. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. I just find stuff like this to be incredibly inspiring. Um, I'm not going to go out and, and duplicate it because of that. You know, one thing conditions. at a time, Ian. Yeah, one yeah. thing at a time. But I love it. I uh, why can't we have another dozen people like this all over the place doing this? Now, I did hear. I think it was sometime last year there was a store that opened in Portland, Oregon, if I recall correctly, that was openly selling mushrooms. So something similar has been done in the United States. I believe they got raided shortly thereafter. <laughs> um, and that's, that's actually one worth checking in on because it makes me wonder, you know, what the current status is. They busted a bunch of the, the people involved in that and, you know, charged them with uh, various felonies. And so I am curious to see how that 
how that case is is shaking out. Because if you could do something like this and actually get in front of a decent jury, you could potentially have a quote-unquote victory. Of course, they probably steal all your drugs and then you know never give it back to you yeah. even if you win. I hate people who take drugs. Right. I can't give it back <laughs> to you because it would be evidence and they'd be able to charge you again, Ian. Well, they can't charge you again if you win on a jury in that particular case because that would be double jeopardy. Uh, but they wouldn't give it back to you using the excuse that this is contraband. So yeah. even though you beat us in court, it's still illegal to have this. So therefore, we're not we're not going to give it back to you. Uh, but I, yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can find more on that Portland mushroom shop because it was pretty fascinating. And that's and it kind of reminds me of the old uh, New Jersey weed man. You remember that mm-hmm. guy? Oh yeah. Yeah, I haven't actually, heard from him in a while. You're actually from Jersey, uh, Chris. Did you ever I, follow any of his exploits there? I don't think I heard of New Jersey Weed Man until I had moved to New Hampshire. So I don't know how long he's been around, but yeah, quite a while. a while. And he had a uh, he was he had a shop uh, set up across from the police station, across yes. the street from the police a church. Station. He had his church set up across <laughs> in, from the uh, police station in Trenton, was it or? I don't I know think what so. town it was. Yeah, I think it was the capital. That's that's Trenton, right? Yeah. Yeah. Trenton's not that far from where I lived. And they raided him, and then they raided him again. I, I don't even know how many times uh, New Jersey Weed Man has been raided by the police, but he kept mm-hmm. on going. You know, they'd, le- <laughs> they'd let him out, and he'd set up another shop or whatever. Yeah. He was a cancer patient, too. So. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and I think he ended up getting a California card. And was traveling back and forth between like one of the more recent raids from a few several years. I think it's been several years now because New Jersey finally did. I believe did they legalize it in uh, Jersey? Don't, don't go looking at me. I, I feel like you're right, but yeah, I think they did. I'll follow New Jersey news. Yeah, I think Jersey <laughs> did finally legalize it. If not, they certainly have a medical program there, and I, I think they've been leaving NJ Weedman alone. So it was a it was a hard earned win. Uh, in the case of New Jersey weed man, but that was that was true in Canada with uh, with Mark Emery as well. So, you know, kudos to these guys uh, that are willing to take these these risks because it's it's really uh, it's really awesome. I got I got to say. So anyway, the place in Portland was called Shroom House, and it was open. It was back in December when the police raided uh, the Shroom House, according to OregonLive.com. So it's probably a little too early to say, you know, what's going on with the uh, the charges in this case. But uh, police raided the West Burnside storefront that had been openly and illegally selling magic mushrooms. Over the past week, several local news outlets published stories about Shroom House. Lines stretched down the block <laughs> at Northwest 16th <laughs> Avenue in Burnside. With Portlanders eager to stock up on psilocybin products. But the magic proved short-lived. Officers with the Portland Police Bureau of Narcotics and Organized Crime Unit executed a search warrant at the shop Thursday morning. This was, again, back in December. Uh, at 7.30, by 7.30, the storefront was empty and locked up. The lights were still on, but no products were on the shelves. The ATM in the shop stood open, so they also broke into the, uh, the ATM there. Portland Police spokes bureaucrat confirmed to Oregon Live that officers made four arrests and seized $13,000 in cash and a large amount of suspected psilocybin products in the shop. Stephen Tony Tachi, age 32, Jeremias Geronimo, 32, were booked in the detention center in Multama County after 4 a.m., according to records. 
they list Tachi as the owner of Alive and Well Hospitality LLC, the name of the company operating Shroom House. They both face accusations of 10 felony counts of money laundering and 10 counts of unlawful delivery of a controlled substance within 1,000 feet of a school. Cathedral School, a Catholic kindergarten through 8th grade campus, is about one block from Shroom House. Aye. Hmm. Ah, that's that's frustrating because they're gonna they're gonna drag that out in uh, in the trial and it's gonna it's gonna look bad in front of a jury. But if if enough people are sick and tired of this war on drugs, then maybe they have a chance. Unfortunately, I I don't know if even in Portland, if they'll have if they'll have a chance. It's hard to be optimistic with these juries. I mean, you know, it it, it should be the case in Portland, but everything is so slanted with the jury system. It. it <laughs> You know, it's it's like if you took this is the crazy thing. If you just took, you know, 12, 13 random people on the street, I think you'd I think you'd find not guilty in most cases. Yeah. The problem is it's not those people don't just get 12 or juries. 13. Yeah. It's not 12 or 13 random people. It's 12 or 13 carefully selected people that are biased against anybody who defends themselves. Voidaire is uh, French for jury tampering. Oh, man. All right. Uh Looks like there's an update here in this case. A shroom house manager has pled guilty to three felony charges. This is according to uh, Willamette Week, www.week.com. Just about a week or two after the raid happened, the manager of shroom house pled guilty to money laundering, selling drugs, and doing so near a school. Jeremiah Geronimo will be sentenced to 10 days in jail. Oh, I'm sorry. This is the prosecutor's recommendation. 80 hours of community service and three years of probation, according to a plea document. That's, that's not too bad. I mean, considering that he was selling drugs openly in the, uh, you know, the street there, their shop, the shroom house. Uh, let's see. The other guy, though, because, again, there were four people who were charged. A uh, Canadian man has pled not guilty, and they're not. I can't read the whole article from OregonLive.com due to their paywall. So one of them, it sounds like he's going to go to trial uh, at least as of December. And of course, you know the plea deals sometimes get a little bit better a little bit later on as uh, as time goes yeah. on. So maybe they're all going to end up pleading out of this. But you would think that if you were going to open up a shop like this, you'd have like a legal plan. You know, mm. like you. You probably should have the lawyer on speed dial. Have a lawyer on retainer. Yeah, you have a lawyer on speed. You, you should, you know, you, you should open the shop underneath the lawyer's office. Uh, you know, at least have the lawyer nearby. So you've got this plan of, all right, we're not going to take the plea deal. We know we knew this was coming, right? Because you know it's going to come. If yeah. You, if you're, so you yeah, if you're, if you're gonna, yeah. if you're gonna fight, you definitely want to make sure you know a lawyer uh, who's right. going to take it to help you take it to trial because but, most lawyers will just try and talk you into taking a plea deal. Right. So you know, have that guy on on the line beforehand have him retained right like have everything all set to go they're they're gonna take your money they're gonna take your weed they're gonna take everything so yeah right and it's like why would you do this if you weren't intending to fight and maybe that's why they made him such a sweet plea deal you know like Mm -hmm. they didn't want him to take this to trial maybe that was his original intention they're like you know what 10 days in jail no no you already did one night nine more you're you're good and then uh, he's going to be saddled with a felony uh, for the rest of his life if he wasn't already. So that's certainly a downside. And he's on probation. Of course, so. it's it's what weed, right? So 
No, this is mushrooms. Oh, mushrooms still. We're talking about <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> Which more people are going to take serious. You know, it's a, oh, it's a real drug or whatever compared to, to really to weed. No, it's not. But that's no, what no, people I mean, believe. You think people are going to take that seriously? Like with jobs and things? Hmm. Oh, well, they, they, most people don't know what your felony is when you say you're a felon. I mean, doesn't don't they usually when you say yes, don't they usually ask like no. like why or like what it what, no? I mean. They do maybe if they call you, but a lot of times they just won't call they you. They just throw your uh, application away. Huh. Let's mm-hmm. go to the phones here. We got a caller on the line. Uh, caller, you're on Free Talk Live. What's your name? Jerry. Jerry, you're on the air. Hey, yeah, I actually live on the Oregon coast, and yeah, uh, psilocybin mushrooms grow all over here. <laughs> Yeah, well, it is also somewhat legal in Oregon for therapeutic purposes. Uh, and then, yeah, of course, Oregon well, uh, also has the decrim that happened a couple of years ago to allow for personal possession of very small amounts of all drugs. So Oregon, to its credit, is certainly more progressive on uh, the front of changing or ending slightly the war on drugs than the rest of the, the, uh, the states. But what did you have to say? Were well, you following this uh, Shroomhouse story? Yes, I was. All right, tell me about it. Or not that, not the Shroom House story. Uh, no. Uh, well, I just uh, was listening to your show, and yeah, I've lived here all my life, and yeah, I've uh, gone picking mushrooms here just on the Oregon coast, and they just grow everywhere. <laughs> mm, There's no stopping them from growing. Uh, you can't stop them. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's how there's a, a story. I think it's Terrence McKenna who wrote a book about how uh, at least he alleges and he, it's an interesting book and pretty persuasive that it was humans discovering psychedelic mushrooms and taking them uh, that led to things like the development of language hmm. and religion and things like that. Known as the stoned ape theory. Yes. And it's it's pretty fascinating. Uh, so was that all you wanted to share? Was that you just go picking mushrooms pretty regularly? Uh, regularly? Or, well, no, I was saying that. Or well, Another point I wanted to make was that, yeah, a lot of people here in Oregon have been using the mushrooms for years and years and years. So it's like, Well, that's true everywhere. I mean, people use mushrooms it. all around the planet, mm. uh, regardless but, of their, their legal status. But And it's something that just comes out of the ground. So it's like, how can the government... Why do they have to have the reason to make it illegal? <laughs> uh, in my opinion, and I'd love to have nobody weigh in on this one as somebody else who's used psychedelics uh, over the years, probably more so, even more so than I have. But uh, my opinion is they don't want you to open your mind. They don't want you mm-hmm. to question uh, reality. They don't want you to question the system. And in many cases, these these substances can lead to those things. What do you think, nobody? Why are these things prohibited? Yeah, I would agree. And they don't want you to feel that connection to mankind mm-hmm. because then you won't want to pay taxes to have them killed. Indeed. Thanks for the call, man. I appreciate uh, hearing from you tonight. The number is 603-283-6160. The the drug war is a war on our friends. It's a war on our family members. It's time for this thing to end. Uh, Unfortunately, we're not quite there yet here in New Hampshire, but we're making some progress. I didn't get to say, I didn't mention this yesterday, but there was pretty big news, at least on the front of cannabis uh, decrim here. The state representatives, I think it was yesterday, voted by voice vote so no one's on the record it was just yay you know just people yelling Mm. uh but they voted by a voice vote to approve hb 360 which would be the best 
cannabis decrim slash ending prohibition bill that I've seen in a long time. It's certainly the best one this year. It would basically end prohibition on cannabis for anyone over the age of 21. I'm sorry, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, you weren't included in this one. But for anyone over 21, it would be as I understood the bill. And again, I didn't write it, so maybe I'm interpreting it somewhat incorrectly. But my understanding is it would be legal to grow it. It would be legal to possess it in any amount. It would Mm -hmm. be legal to sell it, I believe, to other willing 21 and up people. Now, it hasn't passed the Senate yet, but it did pass the House. And uh, and it passed with, you know, of course, bipartisan support. The bad news is they also, not on the same day, but a few weeks ago, passed a bill that would have the taxes and the regulations. So that's what this uh. that's what this HB 360 doesn't have. It doesn't have a marijuana tax. It doesn't have any regulations around growing it. It's just, it's what you talked about uh, a long time ago, nobody, is just depenalizing. You're yep. ending prohibition. Well, did somebody at least put in a bill to end the, uh, I don't know, some some of these other taxes, like the, uh, what is it, the meals meals and... I don't know. I, I, I've not heard that. Um, that's a good question. That uh, I mean, we should, we should at least get something in exchange for, for another tax. Yeah, um, that might be something you could take to some of the state reps and see if you can find something. Maybe Matt Sant- Santanastasso would be willing to do it. He seems to be the guy that's willing to put in anything, which is, which is yeah. awesome. Like, like his bill to end the entire war on drugs... That he put in that got seventy-something. Cool. I think it was yeah. I think it was seventy votes nice. in favor of ending the entire war on drugs here in New Hampshire. They got over a hundred to legalize DMT. Ninety-seven. Yep, ninety-seven of them. All right, we'll see you tomorrow night. FreeTalkLive.com. Some of you have wanted to support Free Talk Live's mission on a monthly basis, but don't want to support Patreon. Now we have an alternative that also helps our premier streaming platform, Odyssey. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join at the top of the channel. You can subscribe for $5 per month, and unlike other subscription services, Odyssey adds their processing fee on top, so it'll cost a little over $5 per month, but Free Talk Live will receive the entire amount you pledged. Higher donation tiers are available if you're feeling so inspired. You'll get a special membership badge that's visible in the Odyssey chat room, and if we get enough supporters, we may enable members-only chat. This new subscription method is a great way to decentralize our direct listener support away from just Patreon and also support a libertarian-run business, Odyssey. Please visit video.freetalklive.com and click join to subscribe to our Odyssey channel and help support spreading our message around the planet. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join today.